Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, guys, we got another special podcast. The man, the myth, Kale Burns is in the building. Podcast number 121. Kale, how are you? Doing good. Feeling good. Yeah. Feeling good. Doing good. It's crazy time, but you know, I know, uh, I know you've been, you're, you're Australian roots. You've been around the globe. You've traveled, played poker. I guess before we dive into who you are, what you do, give me a little bit of like what the last, uh, give me just like the pandemic. It's basically been a year roughly since kind of lockdown. How has yeah. your, your life personally in the last year? Uh, it's put a big spanner in the works. Uh, that, that's for sure. Obviously caught everybody sort of uh, by surprise when these things came on. Um, I was spending a decent amount of, I was in the UK for a pretty big block. Um, and obviously things over there weren't fantastic. So I spent essentially six months there until my visa ran out. Uh, so I was able to play online poker there, stuff like that. Um, and since come back to Australia semi recently. Um, so I recently bought a house over here. So I've been like, I don't know. I'm starting to realize that when you buy a house, there's a lot of stuff you need to do when you buy a house, like furnishing it, all these little things that can go wrong. So I've sort of just been juggling that recently. It's been pretty eye-opening, but somewhat enjoyable experience. So um, yeah, but Australia sort of got things under control as far as the pandemic's gone. Yeah. We're like probably the strictest lockdowns in the world in terms of like what it requires for us to do a lockdown, what the conditions are of the lockdown. Um, so there was quite a long period of sort of people not leaving their house or being able to go X amount of kilometers away from their house. I sort of ran away from that for as long as possible in the UK. And since I've come back, it's like, it's almost like we don't have COVID here at the moment. The cases are so few, it's just normal life. So definitely luckier than most, but at the same time, can't play poker in Australia. So, you know, there's good and bad, but that's basically what it's been like for me recently. Yeah, I actually saw, um, let's see, I saw something like COVID parties or I remember like seeing some stuff, maybe when was this like a while ago, June or July or sometime last year, I don't know when it was, but there were like literally like people celebrating the streets that it was just like eradicated, there was no more COVID and I was just like, man, it's crazy, but I guess it's on an island, you got like you mentioned, there's some really strict policies and, and that's it, you guys literally have no cases right now? Pretty much. Like I think um, like in Victoria, we had one case yesterday, if I'm not sure, but yeah, so I, I think I noticed because I went to the UK, right? So I, before I went to the UK, I was actually, I was in Russia. I played some tournament uh, series there. And I remember thinking like when I came into Russia, this is when COVID was just starting to happen. This was uh, either late January, early February. I'm not 100% sure of 2020. I remember getting to the airport and being like, okay, I've walked through customs. There's this guy, this Russian guy in a full hazmat suit. He's got like a thermal imaging camera. Every person who comes past, he's like checking their temperature. If somebody's temperature is too high, they're going off into another room to be like tested. Wow. So it's like, wow, like stuff's like getting quite serious. Then I've, I've gone from Russia to the UK and I was like, what's, what's going to happen when I get into the UK? Like, obviously I can go there. I can play some online poker, this and that. And I'm just like, you know, how strict is it going to be? Is it going to be hard to get in? Am I going to be asked a lot of questions? Am I going to have to do some quarantine policy? And then it was just like COVID didn't exist. Don't have to speak to a human. Scan my electronic passport in the country in five minutes. Nobody's wearing a mask. And I'm just like, you know, what do you, what do you think is going to happen here in a few months? Right. Unfortunately, not so good over there, which is a bit of a polarization compared to Australia where it's like, I feel like we're quite 
super obedient almost for whatever reason um, in, re in regards to this. So even when we have no cases, everybody's wearing masks in public places and stuff like that. So it's sort of like it was a big juxtaposition, at least I thought so. So I think that's probably got something to do with it. Also, just like we're a pretty big landmass compared to some places like in Europe. So our population is a bit more spread, which probably helps as well. But yeah, I guess policy and that those factors is quite uh, made it quite lucky for us over here. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend the podcast on that, but it is fascinating to me too. I mean, Australia, I've been a few times for the Aussie Millions and just kind of over there, amazing place, but it is, I guess, technically it was started by prisoners. Is that right? And, and whatever, it sounds like a pretty well ordered. <laughs> I, don't know I don't know if it was started by prisoners, but originally it was used, at, there was like a penal colony uh, here where they took people from the UK and they're like, you know, 40 ones or whatever, and we'll put them in the, the prison on uh, Australian soil or whatever. But yeah, that, that was definitely the case. So we cop some of those jokes from people from the UK and stuff like that. Like you're just the shitty prisoners that we discarded, blah, blah, blah bit of banter between the nations or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah that's, that's I, I, I just, I heard that, but anyway, either way, it looks like you guys are doing some right. You got your stuff in order. This is, this is a big problem. It's in the world and you guys are, you guys have your stuff together. So uh, that, that is, that is good to hear. And, and congrats on buying the house. Is that something you were wanting to do for a long time? Has the mark was a market affected by COVID? It was just something you were just, it was time to do or, or what, what caused you um, that? Yeah, so I probably I bought a house that is a, a, I guess an investment property uh, maybe when I was twenty five or twenty six, so like six seven years ago now. But I probably stepped foot into it a handful of times, not like actually living in it. Uh, up until recently, obviously, I've been following the tour, and I was just renting a room um, from my friend's house uh, in South Bank, which was sort of close close to Crown Casino. Um, I don't know if you're like versed on the Melbourne property market, but it has a reputation for being like very expensive. So I'd sort of always thought that at some point there's going to be a correction and that would probably be a good time for me to, you know, purchase a property or whatever. And I think COVID was that, that correction for me. So yeah, I actually purchased the house when I was in the UK and um, my parents and one of my friends who's a property developer looked at it for me and I hadn't stepped foot in it, but yeah. So, but it's been nice. It's nice to finally own my own house. I feel like, you know, I'm over 30 now. Maybe it's time to move out of my friend's house or whatever. Yep. Start being an adult and shit, you know? Yes. Step by step. I mean, I tell you, I was just telling you before we started, you know, having a, having a two-year-old, it's, uh, it's, it's different times, man. Enjoy the grind. Enjoy, you know, no kids and traveling the world and doing, doing what you do. Cause things, uh, things do change and for if it's all, oh, yeah, I'm sure. And, and whatnot. Um, all right, well, let's let's talk about what people want to hear. Let's let's dive in a bit into poker. I'm just gonna kind of shoot over right away, and and I guess I want to go through your hand and mob. That's always my favorite to kind of run down memory lane and and see where it all began. It's actually interesting. You're one of the few poker people on the podcast whose first hand and mob is not a final table. Like most people, just win or get top. You know, they they final table, and I feel like that's what got them hooked onto the the, the scene. But this was uh, looks like you didn't final table your first one. It took you your third one to, to get in the winner circle and, and have that final table score. But how did you, uh, what got you into poker? What was, what was the, the, the calling? How did you find this, this beautiful game? Um, yeah, I guess that's an interesting story. So basically I was going to, uh, I was in high school and I had this friend in high school who was uh, quite into playing online poker. He was doing a little bit of a sneaky one. He was playing underage as like a 16, 17 year old. Uh -oh. And, um, he was quite a smart, mathematically minded guy, and I know that he was doing quite quite well. So I think he was making like at some point he's making fifty dollars an hour as a 16, 17 year old, and then maybe at some point it was even a hundred an hour before he you know graduated high school. 
So I always thought to myself, you know, like if my friend Dave is doing this, he's a smart mathematically minded guy. There must be something to this game. It's probably not just like pure gambling or luck. Um, so, but I didn't actually play poker in terms of Texas Hold'em for the first time until I was 18. I did have a decent amount of experience playing like card games. My parents are lo- lovers of card games and board games and stuff like that. But I didn't play poker till I was 18 and it was after I uh, graduated high school. Essentially just got invited to a home game. It was like a $15 buy-in cash game. We were probably playing like, it was probably like five cent, 10 cent blinds. Okay. And I remember like we played for a few hours, like we were drinking a few beers or whatever. And, you know, I was sort of uh, intrigued by the game. I'm like, there's obviously some strategy aspects here. There's some fun social and psychological dynamics. And we played all night and I think I won 12 bucks at the end. And I remember waking up in the morning. I was like, man, this game's awesome. I won $12. There was a lot of cool stuff you can learn here. And that's sort of what got me hooked, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that's, that's very similar to me as well. Kind of found it, play with friends. A lot of fun. Realized I like games, board games, video games, and there, there was something, you know, it's nice to actually be able to win something. So, uh, yeah, very, very cool. So, you kind of got a knack for it. And when did, what about your family, friends? When did you decide that when it turned from hobby to something more serious, was this an easy transition for you or is this a difficult conversation? Um, yeah, so basically what I was doing is uh, uh, immediately after graduating high school, I started studying at uh, university. So, I was studying at university. I was working part-time in a bar. And I was sort of just like, you know, I was like any other 18, 19 year old kid in Australia, likes to get drunk, have a bit of a laugh, just like hang out with the boys or whatever. So I wasn't taking the game super seriously. I was sort of playing maybe one or two days a week, blowing a lot of my money on alcohol and just like chilling with the boys and not taking it seriously. But I sort of knew that, hey, I think there is potential to make money uh, in this game. Um, But I'd never really thought, hey, maybe that's something I can start to do all the time. And maybe if I'm lucky, I don't have to work. I didn't really have that sort of click straight away. But then maybe after about 12 months, I started to realize, you know what? Like I'm making more money at the casino than I am at the bar. I enjoy working. I enjoy, you know, playing poker more than I do working at the bar. Like, fuck it. Why don't I just, why don't I just quit my job? See what happens. Right. So that's basically what I did. I quit my job as 19 year old. Um, I still wasn't taking the game as seriously as it deserved for sure, but I was, uh, you know, able to support my lifestyle from doing it as like, and I thought maybe I'll pay my way through university and that'd be fantastic. Um, I remember having a conversation with my parents about, you know, I want to start taking it more seriously, this and that. And originally they were not supportive at all. They were, they sort of under the opinion that, you know, you've got a, a decent brain. We think you'd be very good at engineering. You should just keep pursuing that. We don't want you throwing your life away on this stupid game. These type of conversations were had like, um, but my friends were always very supportive. They sort of understood it a little bit better. Um, and then over time, my parents started to realize, Hey, maybe he's on something here, I guess. Over a couple of years, they, they become pretty big supporters of it. And, and now are they, do they sweat when they get the, you know, the updates online or the televised stuff? Are they glued to the TV and they're, they're at every move and they're like so cool telling their friends and stuff. Or are they just kind of like, are they still? Yeah, they're, they're, they're quite support, supportive now for sure. Like my mom likes to follow it. If I, I won't like message them individually or anything. I'm sort of like when I'm playing, I'm a bit private about that. But my mom will go out of her way to find out what's going on. And she'll follow me if I happen to make a final table and stuff like that. And she's, they're both very supportive now. Yeah, for sure. And dad will follow when he's not working or whatever. He'll watch too. 
that that's awesome. All right, well, let, let's let's just go. Let's dive right in here to, to 2009. So you go, you you're now playing a bit. You're playing with some friends. Had you already established yourself? Had you had some good results online before you started playing, or was it kind of simultaneously? Um, so let's have a look here. What we're seeing. Um, yeah. So 2009, I would say I didn't have much tournament experience at all, and. I basically played no tournaments. My experience with tournaments was maybe that one and a couple of other ones at the casino that I just jumped in because. And I was basically exclusively playing uh, cash games at that time. So okay. I certainly wouldn't have been a very good tournament player uh, back then, but like obviously the game's evolved a lot now, so maybe I was good enough to do okay. Yeah. But yeah, mostly cash game player back then. Yeah, so I see your first ever one is with Joe Hashem, who uh, he's been in the pod, a buddy of mine as well. Really, you know, kind of paved yep. the way. But obviously, in Australia, he's known in poker. He's the number one, your number two all time money list. How how uh, was Joe? Was he pretty much? Was he like you? You knew who he was at that point, right? And then he he won the main event in two thousand, I think. Four, I remember. Oh, 2005, yeah. I remember my mom said to me in 2005, hey, an Australian man just won the Poker World Championship, blah, blah, blah. And I said, like, I didn't really think about it at all because I didn't even understand the game. Do you know what I mean? Right. And then, like, four or five years later when I started to play, I was like, oh, hey, that's Joe Hashim. He's actually world champion. Yeah. So I definitely knew who he was when I started to play poker and, you know, get more passionate about the game. But at first, it was sort of just straight over my head. I didn't right. really understand how much money there was involved or how complicated or beautiful the game was. But yeah, but I know Joe, Joe pretty well now. I saw him the other day, actually. He's we're just playing a, a home game, you know. Seems a, it's a friendly home game. Seems you can't play at the casino anymore with COVID. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That, uh, for sure. And uh, so you do end up taking the, the first place after it looks like a break from tournaments. So you, you dabbled, you played one or two, maybe you played a few more. Obviously, it's only showing the caches but you weren't really that much into it. And then did this change things when you won this 36,000 US, basically dollar for dollar Australian at the time in 2011, but you, you take this down and was this a big boost to your bankroll or in terms of your tournament prowess or was this, our, were you already, um, uh, did absolutely. that you kind of get into online to start playing more tournaments? Um, it was definitely a big boost to my bankroll because like I said, at this time, like when I first started playing, I wasn't taking the game serious. I was playing one or two days a week. I didn't live close to the casino. So it was actually quite a journey for me to get there. It was about a 70 minute drive each way. Um, so yeah, that was a, a huge boost to my bankroll. And it was sort of like previous to that, I'd sort of went on a decent downswing and sort of had a moment to myself where I'm like, you know, you're going out, you're drinking every weekend, you're playing one or two days a week. Like you're not taking it serious. Like if you want to do it, like do it properly or don't do it. So I sort of had this epiphany or whatever you might want to call it. And then maybe to the two months running up to that, I'd sort of done quite well in the cash games and put a lot of volume in. And then this was uh, a huge bankroll boost for me at the time and sort of um, reaffirming of my choice to take the game more seriously, I guess. Yeah. And and how, so I, we got to we got to address. I mean, I think Australia and US is very similar to it. The the legal stuff where I think Australia's Black Friday when they shut everything down was years mm -hmm. later, but still sort of in the same kind of thing where it was operating. You could play on full tilt poker stars, you know, party poker in these sites, and then all of a sudden they just stop tax dollars. It's like confusing. USA is now you know Pennsylvania, Michigan. I don't know how closely you follow it, but it's starting to. Catch. You guys are on your way, opening up for it's sure. Hopefully, it continues. Yes. And it seems like, you know, I saw an article on Poker Fuse just the other day. They were saying if uh, on Poker Stars, if they combine Michigan, uh, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, it would be one of the largest networks in the world, like, or something like along that to that effect, uh, how powerful just what that interest state would be. So it does seem promising. But what, what's the, give me that, give me the hopes and the, the, the idea with Australia, what happened and when did that happen when they shut down online poker? 
To be honest, I don't remember the exact date, but it was definitely later than you guys had your sort of Black Friday. I've always been under the opinion that the reason these things happen is not because like, hey, let's protect our citizens from uh, online gambling. It's like, no, they don't give a flying fuck about that. That's what I think. It's like, go to Vegas. There's pokies and slots everywhere. Come and do your money, guys. More than happy. Pay those tax dollars, right? So I've always thought that it's because, you know, these offshore companies are not paying tax to the countries that some of the patrons are playing from, that that's more what this has been about. Right. Um, So obviously, Australia has shut it off. Um, There is sort of whispers that, you know, maybe it's going to come back in a year, maybe it's going to come back in two years, whatever stuff is happening now with the political uh, changes, like we've got different people in, maybe they don't care as much. I'm not following it so closely as to I can say I know what's going to happen in the future, but I'm optimistic and and hope so. At the same time, like um, living in Melbourne, New Zealand is completely legal and that's like a less than a four hour flight away. So it's not the end of the world if you want to like go play some online poker. It's just four hours away, you know? Right. Yeah. And and yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, it's something that, it, it's just funny how that can be in the U.S. even more like New, New Jersey and New York, for example, right? Like you could be look over the river or it's in the same country and it's legal in some mm. areas. It's just a bit confusing. Uh, but that the, to it seems clear, stupid, right? That's why I think of like the medical marijuana laws there. It's like back when it started to come in, it was like, you know, it was like Washington and Colorado. So it's like and then you just go, you know, maybe you drive across the bridge or you drive for 10 minutes. It's like all of a sudden the laws are completely different. Yes. And there's like federal and state jurisdictions that are like not yeah. lining up and shit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's <laughs> confusing with COVID too, right? Because there's states like, you know, Florida and Miami where it's just like everything's open and going nuts. And then there's, there's states where everything's closed and so it's like not really – clear on what's working or doesn't and one, one worse than another. And it's, it's very confusing, you know, and that for that regard, let alone with the yeah drugs, cannabis, whatever, you know, these type of things and, and gambling, it's, it's just, it's, it's wild, but I mean, in a way it kind of, you can choose your own, right. You get to go to your different areas and you can kind of live a bit differently. So yeah, it's a, it's interesting, but Australia is across the board. There's no jurisdictions and States. It's just Australia poker. No good. Yeah. You can go to New Zealand. Okay. Yeah, basically at the moment, hopefully it changes. Hopefully we take a leaf out of your book and start rolling out some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, uh, that, that's definitely just kind of crazy to, uh, to think that that's how it is. But you know, again, we're very similar in a lot of ways on that. Uh, let's just kind of hit here then 2000, you know, you hit the score for 37 K bankroll booster playing a bit. You're all your events are in Australia, right? Currently you're just you know doing your thing. You got the crown there, whatever it's in your, your wheelhouse. And then all of a sudden, in April of 13. So it's a couple of years. Had you already started, you had another score, pretty nice score here for, for, for 48 K uh, at this point though, was the online, had you had some good scores online and, and you were playing like a lot, a lot, or were you still kind of just um, playing cash? I was, yeah. Yeah. I was definitely playing a lot at this point. Once we get down to uh, 2012, 2013, I wouldn't say I had heaps of online success in terms of tournaments. Uh, to be honest, I dabbled in it a bit and done okay here and there, but like nothing, noteworthy really especially compared to some of the people at the time but i was putting in a lot of cash game volume um some online mostly live and was doing uh quite quite well there on the cash game tables at this point very very nice and you then what what uh would you say like let's just uh, i really want to understand like the the poker landscape for you at this time because were you did you have a group of friends that were doing really well and you guys were talking last strategy had you done some run at once and training programs or what was your method other than just sort of trial and error? What were you doing to sort of beat the games and become a a successful player at this point? 
Um, I wouldn't say that I had a, definitely had a group of friends that played poker and, you know, we'd discuss hand strategy with and whatever, stuff like that. Yes, for sure. Um, sometimes dabbled in run up once on, I had a subscription there for a little bit and I would have learned some stuff from that for sure. Uh, same as my group of friends. I think one of the things that was really, uh, good for me personally. Um, so I've, I was obviously a cash game player, right? So, I was always more interested in what the best cash game players were doing. So at, at the time then it was whoever was playing 100, 200, 200, 400 on poker stars, full tilt, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to definitely study what those guys did. Um, so I'd not only watch them play and then, you know, you get to see their hands sometimes and draw conclusions or, but I would also go to um, sort of two plus two and there's a high stakes thread there and people would just post sort of hands, notable hands, whatever. I definitely did some reading on that sort of stuff and I would see people, you know, I'd see these high stakes players make some plays that perhaps I didn't quite understand or I'd say, why are they using this sizing here? And I wouldn't quite get it. But then with reflection, I would start to understand, oh, this makes sense because of this and that. And then I could, you know, I'd always thought that like, okay, these guys are actually putting in the work, doing the study, whereas I'm not doing the study off the table that they're doing to be playing those stakes. Let's sort of piggyback off the fact that they've already done it and try and extrapolate um, from their strategies and then figure out how that works myself. So that's something I definitely spent a bunch of time doing. And I think that helped my game quite a lot at the time. And, and was there, was there any like aha moments or what all of a sudden here, I mean, you go down and in 2013, I think I was actually at this one. I'm not sure if this was the first year the WSOP uh, this main event happened, but you hit a big score. So, I mean, this is significant. Mm-hmm. Your first six figure score. What was that like mm-hmm. getting to a, it was actually the, the main event, right? And this was the, yeah, that the, was the main uh, event, the main event there for a big, big million, million to first. And Mr. Daniel Negreanu, wow. Daniel Negreanu taught everybody a lesson. Yeah. That, that uh, yeah, he came in and uh, a lot of Australian and, and there he did. He got it done for Canada, not a Canadian in sight, but Daniel emerges <laughs> as the, the uh, champion, brings it home. And, and what was that like? What was that experience like making the final table? And obviously there, it's your home home area, WSOP. It's got to be pretty cool, right, to think like here you are and you're playing for a WSOP main event title, even though it's, you know, not it, – it's the APAC or whatever or whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah, but it, it is. The WSOP, your parents, family are around, people are there, friends are there, and you make the final table. Daniel Negreanu's there. I mean, it's got to be pretty cool. Uh, for to be in in, in in that spot. Were you nervous to playing for a million? Uh, what was it like at that final table? Um, I don't know if I was nervous. Maybe I was like anxious slash excited, I guess. Um, but yeah, obviously it was a, a huge moment uh, for me playing at those stakes at the time. Um, I hadn't played that many tournaments still, so I wasn't super versed in tournaments, but I think I was playing pretty high stakes cash games at that time already. I think I was already playing like 50, 100 cash games. For example, but that was still huge bankroll injection in a massive spot that was, you know, like, I mean, you're playing for a million dollars, right? That's, that's just an obscene amount of money, especially for a young kid. Um, the experience was pretty cool and eye-opening as well. Um, I remember because my parents at the time, they still weren't sort of uh, sold on the idea of playing poker. We, Me and my mum and dad sort of didn't speak about it that much, to be honest. There was probably a period of a couple of years where I was like, Poker might as well be the extremely taboo word that you you wouldn't say. And it was like when we had conversations about stuff, it was more like when you're going back to uni because I deferred at this time and, you know, like you're such a smart kid, you need to take your life more seriously, blah, 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 this sort of stuff. And I was sort of 
I don't know. I'm one of those guys. I don't like being told what I can and can't do. Right. So whether it's my parents, uh, one of my friends, anybody else, I don't give a fuck. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. So I, that probably made me rebel even harder, but right. me and my parents weren't getting along with that. And then once they saw that, Oh, hang on. Like he's actually making you know a bunch of money from this. Maybe he actually can do this. It's on television or whatever. Then they started to realize, okay, you know, maybe we were wrong after all. Right. So I guess that that was sort of that was good for the relationship with my parents in the game as well. So yeah, it was it was big in a lot of ways that one for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that it, it does seem you know that no matter what results oriented, you got it. The parents they're they're not worried. They don't know. Like it's same like my wife. Kings you lose Kings to Ace Four or whatever, like Kings to some crazy or bad beat or yeah. river. They don't really care, right? They just want to see the results. So they know you're, you're okay and going to be able to hold your own and, and make it. So yeah. but it's, it's nice to get that on paper. And especially when the bright lights are on and it adds a little bit of uh, oomph to the, to, the, uh, to, to, the, to the whole situation. So, all right, so you get that score. And now you get, that's a different, like you said, it's a, that's a real bankroll booster. Were you playing more tournaments now or did you, just, did you still just going about cash? And, and what were you doing? Because it looks like it took a while before you hit you know, another similar, almost the same exact score, 200. Yeah, I think what I did after that was I still just played 90% plush cash games and I just sort of like when a good tournament was on and it was in town or I was there, I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll play that, for example. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't just like, okay, time to play all the tournaments at this point still. Right. I didn't have that thought process. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to add, by the way, that even though my parents weren't originally supportive, it's not like they, they were still fantastic parents by all means. They just like right. didn't understand. And, you know, there's a bit of a taboo around this sort of area. Like my parents sacrificed a lot for their kids and my family. And they always had my best intentions uh, yeah, when given that tough uh, love per se. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really normal, right? It's similar, it's not, a lot of similarities I see myself too. It's just kind of like, yeah, they don't know what they don't know. And, and even if they do know and they feel you can do it, it's still like, you know, there's a lot of other things that come with being a professional poker player, traveling, taking care of yourself, you get put in bad situations. There's other vices that can fall into your lap by accident. So, you know, I think that's uh, that's a reasonable concern. And you know, it's great to see that you you were able to kind of, you know, uh, get them off your, your back on that pretty quickly yeah. within the process. Because it's not fun, right? You want to make your parents proud and you don't want to yeah, be kind of conflicted where you're like, all right, like I know I'm going to make it. I know it's going to be okay, but my parents really don't like it because that, that's yeah. not fun. So, all right, you, you zoom through, uh, you go forward a few years, you're doing your thing, you're traveling a bit now. It looks like you went over to, to, to Asia a few times and then all of a sudden you hit, uh, uh, you get first. So it's nice to win. You've had a couple good scores, but you actually take first. This is in Sydney. I've actually never played poker there. I've been to, uh, man, not a lot of, pretty much all Australians. If you take down this event, is this one, this is a, this main event at the Star Casino there. How does the Star compare to, the, the casino at Melbourne, the, the Aussie Millions of Crown. How is it? How are the? How are They're the- both quite good poker rooms. I think it's like they have the tournaments that they run there are quite nice. There's a they get like a decent amount of runners. There's a lot of like amateurs and uh, more serious players in the mix. Friendly atmosphere and stuff like that. It's a good place to play poker, Sydney, and a good place to be. Same as Melbourne. Pretty lucky here in Australia. Mm-hmm. And and is it is it? Do you notice like more of a presence from Asia? at Melbourne versus um, Sydney? Like, how do they compare in terms of the grand scale? Of, like, the, the Crown's are really nice. It's a massive property and really high-end uh, facility. Mm-hmm. Is that the same with the Star Star there? This The Star's, I'd say, it's a pretty high-end facility too, but Crown is certainly a much bigger casino. Um, it's obviously the original uh, casino mecca in, in Australia, and I think, I'm not sure if it still is, but it was the biggest casino in the Southern Hemisphere. So... 
maybe something's overtaken that now. I'm not sure, but it was the biggest casino in the southern hemisphere. So, right, I guess it gets more international presence, especially from Asia, targeting those high rollers and uh, stuff like that than Star. But like Star's still, you know, pretty big, nice casino too. For sure. All right. So, boom. How and and that was nice to get that. You get the actual win. Was that to hoist that trophy? Did that was that significant? Did that feel different than the other ones with the two hundred k scores? Was this like was this pretty special for you in terms? That of your- one was sort of like that might have actually started to convince me. Okay, maybe play a little bit more tournaments now instead of just all cash games because it got to the point where what year was this? I've been playing poker for quite a long time now, oh, and I the cash game fifteen twenty fifteen. Okay, so I've been playing 16, poker for what 16. six years. 16, 16. So I've been playing poker for, what, since I was 19, 18, 32 now. So I've been playing for several years and uh, the cash game grind started to get a bit monotonous, if that makes sense. Yeah. It wasn't that I don't enjoy playing lifestyle cash games. I do. It's just like if you do the same thing day in, day out for like seven years, like anybody can get a bit bored, right? I felt like it was starting to autopilot a little bit. Um and then obviously I started to play a little bit more tournaments after this one. So now it's like there's still so much I can learn here, so much new stuff, and it's a, a supremely different sort of atmosphere and feeling than playing cash games. So that sort of might uh, I don't know, lit a tournament spark, I guess, when that tournament score happened. Yeah. Makes makes a lot of sense. And and just based on what you were doing then and what you know now, how much do you think I mean the games change a lot? We're talking about five years uh, mm-hmm. from now. Like where where do you believe you were versus the field? in 2016 in terms of your tournament prowess and, and where you are now? Like, how do, how do you, how would you compare those two? I'm definitely way, way better tournament player now. Um, I'm overall just a better No Limit Hold'em or poker player. I always thought back in 2016, if like, when I played these live tournaments, if I played against the supposed really good players, um, I had no problem doing very well in the deeper parts of the tournament, 50 big blinds, 100 big blinds, 70 big blinds. I didn't feel at all menace playing against these guys at those stacks due to my cash game experience. But once it got down to like 30 blinds, 20 blinds, I was certainly not playing as good as them in terms of knowing what to defend, knowing what to three-bet jam, stuff like that, what to call three-bet jams. Like I would have been doing a bunch of mistakes um, compared to the best players in the world. I would have been playing okay, but certainly compared to the best players in the world, I had no business playing them at 20 blinds at this point. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. of course. Yeah, so that's something too, like you said, at this point though, this kind of maybe spurred you to dive into that and learn that and and, and figure out how to do it. Because then you you go not long now, November, you hit your biggest score, 343K. And was this like, and then you all of a sudden in April. So like in a very short span, you just kind of get going for about a million dollars in less than a year mm-hmm. in tournament scores and just a few alone. What was, uh, what was this feeling like too, to play for, I guess this Hong Kong for a hundred K is actually that's Hong Kong hundred. What's that? Like 15 K. So it's not, that's not a hundred. Yeah. Yet. I think that was like 16 K or something back then. Right. But still a massive score. You get third. Like, so this, at this point, I mean, now you're, you actually go first, first, uh, August, September and, and, and mm-hmm. get some scores. Did did it turn a corner though? And this 16 with this score, 17, these are big scores all of a sudden. Like this is real money. The 200 Ks are nice. You're talking about like a good living for a year if you're not, you know, lighting it up everywhere else. But once you yeah. start hitting like 300, 400 K scores where your parents kind of like, whoa, like they start, like it goes from like not worried that you're playing to worrying that you're investing properly. Like did they, did the, did the conversation change a bit where they're like, wow, this is crazy. Like you're starting to make more money than most people's salary in one tournament in numerous years. So how did that change the conversation? Um, I guess it was just sort of uh, eye-opening to my parents, sort of what is possible within the realms of poker if you sort of uh, dedicated and work hard 
or have you know have the means to play these tournaments in in the first place. Um, I guess in terms of the other financial side of things, I'd sort of I wouldn't say I came from necessarily humble beginnings, but I you know my growing up, my parents weren't like super super wealthy or anything, and I'd also you know I experienced working as an 18, 19 year old and was always sort of understood the value of money, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I wasn't one to splurge on unnecessary stuff. Like maybe I, I was dusting money, like going out drinking and stuff with the boys, but I'm not just like making, I wasn't one of those guys that had nice shiny items. Do you know what I mean? Like I always knew how to save money, get good deals on my thing, on things that I bought. Uh, these are sort of values sort of passed on from my parents who I'd say, you know, even though, they weren't like super rich or anything. They always sort of understood money to some degree. Um, so yeah, I wasn't splurging on stuff. I guess my main costs were just like travel, like hotel flights, that sort of stuff. That's where I was burning money. Right. But yeah, I probably still could have been smarter with my uh, investing and started investing a bit sooner for sure. Like perhaps there was a few years there where I was like, I was doing a bunch of saving, but not a bunch of investing, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. obviously saving... Seems like it's good, but that's not really, you know, how, how you make money in the real world. If you save, if you just leave money in a bank, you're just going to lose inflation, right? So mm -hmm. I guess I probably started a little bit late, but I wasn't like not sensible at the same time. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Well, and then let's just, let's just dive to this, this juicy one, 1.3 million. What happened here, man? This is a, this is a bigger buy. So nice like at this point, <laughs> did you satellite in? Did you sell action? Did you take a shot? What's going on here? So this is about 100K or a little more actually. I think divided by eight, roughly. Right? Uh, yeah, so, divided by eight. So maybe one twenty-five or something. Yeah. So um, what was that like to dive in for the first time? That was a big one. Definitely the biggest one I'd played at that time. I sold a bunch of uh, action to my friends for this one. So I definitely didn't have all myself, but at the same time, I was playing pretty high stakes cash games at, at this point in time. So like I'd play like 200, 400 and sort of, you know, I could keep my own action in that basically at this point. So, yeah, it was, but that was a pretty big experience. I'm obviously, this is like, now I've gone from playing like some high rollers that are sort of a mixed field, like those ones in Macau with a lot of amateurs and whatever to, okay, now it's like, okay, now you're playing against the best players in the world, right? So that was an opening experience for sure and a good learning process. Pretty fun tournament as well. Shout out to Trident. They run some really good tournaments. Yes. Absolutely, they do. That's uh, and that was uh, you know, the the names here though. Like you said, it's kind of a mixed bag. But you get in here and you look at the end. John Juanda, you know, legend, been in forever. Fedor, of course, no introduction. Adrian Mateos, uh, unknown yeah. player for probably uh, someone we do know, whatever reason, yeah. based on our country to not put there. But um, Stephen Chidwick, Timothy Adams, Ike Hacks. I mean, that's a pretty ridiculous the lineup. bosses. Yeah, yeah, to, for sure. To, uh, to to go through and and what were you? How do you feel like you were perceived at this point by these guys? Do you think they were? You're kind of new to the scene. Were they? Do they know who you were? Did were guys taking you lightly? Do you think they respected you? Do they know you? What was your sort of rap at this point? So I would say that they'd sort of played against me in Macau a little bit, and they were like, "This is sort of a somewhat new guy to the high roller scene." Um, Looking back on it, I w definitely would have been making some mistakes at short stacks that I didn't realize, but I think they sort of understood that I knew how to play pretty well, like fundamentally at this point. Like maybe at first they're like, okay, this is some new guy to the high stakes, see what we can get away with, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying like, you know, I was going in there and outplaying everyone or anything. It certainly wasn't like that. There's definitely better players in the field right. than me, but they started to realize, okay, this, this guy can play too. It, they, they knew. <laughs> the, all the guys in there are really smart and it doesn't take them long to figure out sort of what's going on or where 
people will stand right. in the chain of things. For sure. And 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 uh, where do you think now? Like, I, I guess just let's just take this list because this is always what's fascinating to me. You know, I've played some high rollers and that's not my what I'm mainly doing. I haven't played as many now. And the game's gotten crazy tough, in my opinion, at the highest level. Right. And the, the amount of work that people are doing. When you look at this yeah. list, like when you take let's just say let's just take this final table. Right. You mm. think do people. How realistic are people at the highest level with the ability of others or does, is it, and like what, how much, like, don't, don't call, obviously I'm not going to ask you who do you believe is the best or who's the toughest because you just wouldn't want to divulge that, but like, give me like a, a ROI and a tournament like this. What do you think the, 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 the difference between the top eight guys listed there? Like, could someone be as- How many players we got here? We got 83 players, right? Yeah. Obviously there's a few amateurs, there's a few, perhaps not, there's a, there's some, a bunch of professionals that- uh, very good professionals, but not the super elite professionals. So there's going to be a difference based on where you fit in the field. But some people would be doing pretty well in that tournament just because those Triton tournaments are fantastic structures. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of time to get stuff going um, as opposed to like playing some turbos online, right? So some people would be doing pretty well there. I don't, in terms of ROIs, 83 runners, few fish and stuff like that. I don't know what the ROIs are perhaps, but it wouldn't surprise me to see that the best player in that field will be winning 40 something percent or something like that. Well, that wouldn't I guess surprise more me. my question, let, let's take these guys, the final eight or seven right, mm-hmm. or listed or whatever. Like how do, do, do guys like yourself or others, they look around and when you see Chidwick and Adams and Haxton and Mateos and Holtz, I mean, that's a pretty powerful lineup of names right there. I mean, you know, obviously John Dewana, he's a little different school. He's been around forever. Kind of like the Helmuth white magic, you know, one of those guys that has experience can win maybe isn't doing the solve or whatever, but you know, like yeah. you look at one of these other names I just mentioned, and where's the advantage? Like at what point is like, are you guys just, like, people just know what to do off 10, 20 blinds. Like where does it come into the reading ability, exploitative stuff? Like at what point is it just like you're clicking trading chips with those guys at that level at that, at that final table? Once you get to the best players in the world and you get to 20 big blind stacks, like, yeah, the best player in the world's winning some versus the 10th best player, but they're not winning much. Like, that's just the way it works. Everybody has a very good understanding of uh, how to play those stacks. And there's only so much edge you can apply to, you know, a slightly worse player when you have, you know, an, a short SBR behind. Like, as the stacks get deeper, obviously, the edges get higher. You can start to leverage more chips into the pot to extract EV from. But the best the best player in the world is not getting much money from the 10th place player in the world there. That's for sure. Um, obviously, there is some, you know, if people all of a sudden don't understand ICM so well, then the edges become bigger. But that, that's not really where the edge comes from in these tournaments, in my opinion. The edge comes from in these tournaments that like you register from the start when there's a wide variety of amateurs and now all of a sudden the best player in the world is applying a pretty big edge to the 10th or 20th player in the world, 20th best player in the world or 50th or 100th best player. Well, at the start with 100 blinds, you can really start to put people in the cage. Then what happens is that just snowballs later to you making more final tables and or having bigger stacks at final tables where the edges are small, but you've already generated that EV from the previous sections of the tournament. That's at least my understanding of the way it works. Right. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, are you typically in, and especially like a tournament like this versus let's say a 5k or 2k WSLP event, are you coming in and uh, this 125k from the start? Are you in there? Like, you know, you, you had your cold, definitely tub, you ate your breakfast, you hit your workout and you're in there dialed in <laughs> off your phone. Is that your style or do you come in like- Yeah, I mean, four hours especially yeah. especially back then. Sorry, I interrupted you a bit. No, you're good. You need me. to. I, that's what I, I'm a Twitch streamer, man. I talk a lot. Please 
fire off. <laughs> no, you're all good. You're all good. Back then, especially earlier when I first started playing these high rollers, I was aware that like if I'm playing against Stephen Judwick, twenty uh, Timothy Adams, Isaac Axton at twenty blinds, they're better than me. Just like straight up. Like if I go back to 2015, 16, whatever it was when I started playing these high rollers, not exactly sure. These guys are better than me at those stacks. If you want to play this tournament, Gail, get in there at the fucking start so that you can do well with your cash game experience versus all the other players and, you know, do fine versus the good guys too. Like, I'm not just like, let's late reg versus the best players in the world. I was like, hey, like, no, I know that's that's not my thing at the moment. I'm still going to work on that in the background, but get in at the start so that I can give myself the best chance, right? Makes a lot so of sense. So I played every one of those high rollers from the start back then. Now I'm a bit more relaxed because I know I know how to play the short stacks, if that makes sense. But yeah. back then it was just like, no, I wouldn't. Like, I owe it to myself to reg from the start was my attitude, basically. Right. Yep. Okay. Makes makes perfect sense. And and at this particular one, because this was a big one. I mean, this is three million up top. You got one point three for third. Was that like yeah. a different feeling in your stomach? I mean, you offset, you sold some action, this and that. But how how did that feel being at that one? But that was a big spot for sure because the pay jumps as well. Once you got to the final table, that was like we're talking huge money now. Right. Um. So I remember like getting in a few flips when it was like four handed. And I don't know. I remember like I lost a couple of flips. I lost one to Fedor and Juanda and. I'm not going to lie. I did think, man, these are big flips. Like the difference with these flips is pretty huge. But yeah, like at the same time, I'm obviously, it was extremely uh, fortunate to make it to the final table and come third. That's a way above average result. So when I bust in third, I'm not like, oh, you lost a couple of flips, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, hey, man, you just come third. Like that's, that's pretty fortunate to come third in a tournament like this. Right. But yeah, that was a cool experience for sure. Yeah, so you get a million dollar score on the resume. Nice to chalk that that milestone off, and and you're on your way. And then at this point, I mean, you go around. You know, you're uh, you're playing. Uh, you're, you're playing. Um, you know, you're you're firing off. You do still mix in some smaller buy-ins here and there. But how do you kind of decide? Do you go quality over quantity, or where do you kind of decide about playing? Uh, when you decide to register a tournament or a series, how do you approach that? Do you say I'm going to skip? You know, I'm going to skip. The small stuff, just focus on the big stuff. You play everything, see how you're feeling. How do you, how do you approach a series generally? Uh, basically, my attitude is because obviously when I'm in Australia, I don't have access to these big tournaments all the time. That's one thing. And two, I don't have access to the cash games I want all the time is another thing. So generally when I travel to these tournament series or let's pretend I decide to travel overseas to do a big cash game stint, um, I come in with attitudes like oh, you've paid for your flights, you've paid for your hotel, you're here to fucking work. You're here to grind. That's that's the attitude I come in with. Because when I'm in Australia, like I, I take two months off and shit all the time just because I'm not playing high stakes stuff. So I'm like, I'll use this time. I'll see my friends. I'll see my family. Maybe I'll, I'll play some sports. I do, I do whatever, right? So generally when I go and do these uh, international stops, I'm not just like partying, traveling around or whatever. I, I'm here to fucking grind. So generally I not, wouldn't say I play everything, but... I'll play the overwhelming majority of days and long hours. And then maybe it's like, okay, if I decide I need a break, I'll take one day off here or whatever on a slow day, something like that. Right, right. So it also okay. depends if there's cash games available at the place too. Like if there was cash games available, maybe there's a day with a small tournament on. I, like I'll go play the cash game. Don't worry about tournament, right? Depends on where you go. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I see you're playing pot limit as well. Do you play any mixed games, other games? Are you... Mostly no limit. You like pot limit and short deck. I know Triton's been spreading the short deck uh, as well. And I, I think you dabbled a bit. I'm not positive because I remember I did some commentary at this this stop. And, and I've, I've seen you in a bunch of different stuff. I can't remember. You, you do play some short deck? Or? 
I've played a little bit of short deck. I'd say I have an idea of how to play, but by no means am I a good short deck player. Like, I'm pretty inexperienced. If I play against the best players, they'll murder me. I, I dabbled a little bit in some uh, stuff, you know, earlier, back when the game was a bit more misunderstood. But these guys have sort of been putting in some study, and I haven't. I'm a bit of, I might be a bit of a fish versus them, for example. Right. Uh, so I don't play much short deck, even though I played some in, like, uh, WSOPE. Um but I, I can play PLO pretty competently, I guess. I've played a decent amount of cash game PLO and heads up PLO, so I know how to play PLO. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun game. I think I, I, for a while I thought PLO was going to just take over completely, but it's uh, not quite done. It's a very well. fun it's, game. It does seem to be the more popular cash game. That's the, you know, I, like I like playing, I play a decent high stakes um, and some, some good PLO games, and it just seems to be yeah. what the, the preference is overall. Uh, it's so fun. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's a good game for the amateurs who don't want to just sit there and watch guys sort of knit it up in No Limit Hold'em. It's like you don't get punished for just playing a lot of hands as much in PLO as you do in No Limit Hold'em just because the equities run closer together. So, you know, it's a pretty good game. creates action. You can run it twice. It's, it's, it's a fun game for everybody. Yeah, I think it's it's the right – it's definitely the uh... – the right blend uh, for for that for all that. So, all right, I, I, we'll just kind of fast forward here through. You get some. You're, you're now the six figure man, just knocking down, uh, knocking down some big ones. You get second. Was this? I think you have two bracelets, but was this in nineteen? Did you was it? You had gotten bracelets before. Or was this your? You got second here in a World Series, uh, six handed one in Vegas. I mean, yep. this is a, this is a prestigious one, right? The six handed ten k. No, that was and, a good one. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, that was to Agarwal, who actually I'm familiar with but yeah yeah that was, uh, he's a nice guy that guy what's that yeah that was that was cool it, uh, i remember being on that final table and you know once i got to heads up i'd be like oh this is maybe a chance to do the first bracelet thing but yeah. um yeah that was a cool experience would have been nice to win but you know didn't go my way that time but i don't have i'm not salty or anything it's like oh i come second in the tournament that had hundreds of runners poor me wow 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 i don't ever think like that post having a good tournament score for sure i well I don't have my. I got second in a in a tough one to uh, Radoja, and I still think about it because I, I haven't gotten to to uh, get my bracelet yet, and and, and I, I do think about. It, I got to say, but so you know, I know actually yeah, I had a that you made a you made a, a comments about that because that's what you just want to play your best, do whatever. You don't really look at like the you know chasing the uh, the titles and whatnot. But it didn't looks like you didn't have to stew too long, right? Because you end up going. I think win win. I mean, you went on a, on fire. I mean, this seems like uh, you, know, you had that one point three million, but kind of nothing crazy for a bit, and then all of a sudden in nineteen, you go. I mean, just six figure back to back to back in July. I mean, a pretty pretty massive uh, month there. I th- what, what think that-, that year was like I decided to do a lot of traveling that year. Like maybe I spent six months um, overseas tra- playing these international tournaments, which is more than what I did in the past. So I sort of played everything that year for those six months at least. Right. But yeah, that, that was good. Yeah. And then you did go win, get your bracelet, the 25 K uh, in Rosvedoff, which again, not, not a, not a uh, luxurious location. If you don't know poker, you wouldn't have heard of it, but they do host <laughs> the Kings casino there. Leon's they got some good tournaments there. Yeah. And I remember actually this, I was, uh, I remember being, I think I was, I can't remember if I was at this or not. I don't even know, but Sam got second, pretty good score. Yeah. And again, pretty, pretty tough. Uh, list of players there, but what was that like to actually get it? Did I mean, was that like would that feel nice to get the monkey off the back, or doesn't mean much to you to win the bracelet? I wouldn't say it doesn't mean much to me. It's something I definitely would have hoped would happen in the future if I play poker. But uh, going back to what you said before, in terms of what type of goals I set myself into poker, I'd never just be like, 
you must win a bracelet or you must cash for X amount of money or make X amount of money. I generally try not to set those type of goals because obviously in the short term, especially variance is a huge proponent of what happens with your results, right? So you can come in and play your A game every day, get destroyed. You could also just come in and play your C game, get lucky and do really well because mm-hmm. uh, variance is such a big factor. So my, my goals for poker had generally been around like, I'll put in X amount of volume, something I can control in the short term. I'll put in X amount of volume or um, something like that. So that way, you know, I can sort of be accountable and not have to sweat what happens with the results. Um, I'm more trying to help myself accountable for volume and how well I think I'm playing, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because like anybody can say, I want to win a bracelet. Like they could go play the best poker ever like make very few mistakes, play their A game for three years and have that not happen. Then they could, you know, on the contrary, somebody can just play like complete crap, win nine flips in a row, win a bracelet. Like, so I try not to set my goals like that personally. But yeah, me, that being said, is something I would have liked to have done uh, in poker and I am happy I did it. Right. And then you didn't have to wait long to get your second. What was that? And we were speaking, I didn't realize that you did win in short deck. I thought it was like a mixed game thing, but you won the no limit short deck. So that was a hundred something runners. I mean, what, what was... Uh, you were just kind of, you were on the heater. You just kind of blasted through there and, and just. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like, I mean, that's I'm sick. not the best short deck player, like I said. So that was just like, you know, I'm getting pretty lucky, I think, to make the final table with a lot of chips. I felt pretty comfortable once I got there because that's, it's really interesting that short deck tournament because I feel like um, it sort of slows down a bit with the bust outs around the bubble and stuff like that. And then it's just like the biggest flurry of knockouts because people just go all in so much in that game that when we made the final table, it was actually super deep. Felt a bit like a cash game in some spots. It was like a lot of streets to play and that. But you had a lot of fun playing that. That was really cool. And and what? How do you think? How would you say the level is? And like in that twenty, let's take that twenty five hundred short deck. You know, it's one of those things. I doubt that many people have done that much work in. I mean, there is people that do, like you said, and there is obviously to understand how to play. But when you were at that final table, was it apparent guys were like really tough, or you like, wow, there's some real punters, and this is just kind of like, you know, was it was it difficult? And how did you feel the level was in that tournament down the stretch? The level of that was like. Everybody sort of aware that they don't know what's going on in short deck that much besides for the best players, but everybody was just in there punting and having a good time. Like right. that was like a real fun vibes, like gambling type of tournament. I'm not sure what the rebuy structure was there or how many there was. I was lucky enough to only do one bullet in that, but people were certainly just firing it in. Let's just say that at the early stages, at least. Right. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's really, it is interesting, right? Like, it's so funny in tournaments. I think that's true, too. Like, being there early is such a, I think, an advantage. Even if it's just you're going to be on your phone a bit or putts around, like, it's good to be there early because you just don't know who's going to show up and do what or who's going to play, like, who's going to be gifting and punting and rebuys are, are prevalent now. So, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a way to do it is to be, be on time generally unless you just feel like that's a big disadvantage for you. If you're able to go early, it's got to be, got to be a good one, especially a tournament like that, a rebuy short deck. People are going to be really gambling, I think. I think if you're a professional, uh, generally you're going to make more money playing from the start of the tournament. The the other side to that is, you know, like maybe for an amateur that wants to have fun, maybe late registering is better for you just because the edges get smaller to the, you know, the regulars, the shallower it gets. So I guess right. you can pick and choose what you want. But I'm, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm happy to late reg bunch of tournaments now. I still register at the start for the good ones if I can. But like, I'm not like, oh, I'm not rebuying because it's late. Now I'm just like flicking it in. 
Right. <laughs> makes, makes, makes perfect sense. All right. You're a streaky guy. I'm just kind of going through your mob again and seeing like, here we go. You know, stroll, you got a couple nice ones. You go to Nottingham, get your thing done. I think this was, uh, I want to say I was there at one of these. Oh yeah. No, you took second. Was this the Foxen? Actually, no. This, I, oh yeah. He was third. I remember this tournament. You were, we played together in this tournament and it was fairly deep. And I think you were down to like one big blind or something or two big blinds. You remember that? And you came back, you, you remember come, making a comeback in this tournament or no? I think this Wait, which one? This one's in Nottingham. The one, uh, the one that was like a 10K. Uh, it's like you went first in the 25K, and then it was the 10K. After that, you took second. I'm not sure if I got down to one big blind and then came back, or if I just like straight busted and then rebought. I don't actually remember for that. Uh, okay, yeah, maybe I might did. have just like had a rebuy. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember. I remember we played and you were short and then started coming back, but maybe maybe you didn't come either way. But I definitely but, remember it being a bit of a roller coaster, regardless. Like, yeah, yeah. But so so again, back to back, you kind of get you know nice scores. You seem to do it. You're streaky where you hit pops, and this is another nice January 2020, right before the pandemic. The only thing that could slow you down was COVID because you were just in the mix <laughs> right here. I mean, look at this. You go 1.2 million first in the 100k. Uh, at, on your home court, right at home again. Foxen, this guy seems to be everywhere, huh? Foxen's just just at he the plays top. a lot. What's that? He puts he puts in a lot of volume. That guy, you see him around for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is in there. He's in the mix. Uh, and then the two hundred fifty k, you get eight hundred k. Looks, you know, it's a huge score. It's a big buy in though. And I think your your uh, your your man uh, or no? I thought Adamo is that a different time? I thought he won and you got second. But Timothy Adams also just kind of always around. And Kerry Katz, I think Kerry Katz is one of the sneakier. Guys, he's just on like his hand and mouth. I got to blow him up on the spot. Gary's done very, very well. For yeah. I don't know, people don't know. He's cashed for a lot of money. He he's one of those guys who's like he's like a statue on final tables. You just don't know how, but he just gets there all the time. And like you know, he managed to ladder pretty well too. He gets yeah. away with some stuff, Gary, that people wouldn't realize. He's got a few tricks up his sleeve. No, he's got some tricks for sure. I I. Uh, I, I definitely, uh, definitely, like I said, I didn't really want to blow him up, but I kind of have to because he's just been getting it done. But so wh- where was that one with the Damo? Was that the 100K? He got sad. I thought a Damo. He, he bubbled me in the 100K in the Gold Coast. He gave me oh. a nice one, actually. Oh, was that a different one? He won that too. Yeah, yeah, that was in the Gold Coast. So before the 250, there was that 100 uh, in the Gold yeah. Coast. And Adamo, yeah, Adamo bubbled me in that and then went on to win. Yeah, and tell me a bit about his game because he's probably, I'd say you, you two are the two most notable, uh, or well, in the high stakes scene, right? Joe Hashem, of course, the Aussie man. Everyone knows who that is and then won the main and kind of, you know, back in 05. But what, what about Adamo? What, how would you compare your guys' games? And are you guys in the same circle? Do you talk a lot? Are you guys friendly? We're friends, yeah. yeah. We're friends. Like, he came over to my house the other day. We had a uh, hit a table tennis. That was a while ago, but that happened at some point. But yeah, we're friends. We talk and stuff. Um, but how would I rate his game? I definitely think he's one of the best players in, in the world. He's a fantastic player. He's, um, I don't know how much now, but previously he put in a lot, a lot of work uh, off the table uh, studying, and you can sort of see how that uh, translates into uh, his game. He's got a pretty good mathematical, logically uh, sound mind for the game of poker. So, yeah, I think I remember looking back uh, three or four years ago where he was obviously a fantastic player at this point in time, but not as well known as he is now. And I was telling people like, watch out for this kid. He's going to be fucking good. And yeah, obviously he's done really well for himself, especially on the uh, virtual felt. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen exactly this talking about this at the, his results and kind of really impressive. Also his style is just very 
he plays big pots. You know, he's doing a lot of overbetting, making you putting really tough yeah. situations. And, and yeah, I'd say he's one of those guys you just, you see at the table and you're just like, mm. you know, you realize you, you're not going to be able to be, you're going to be on your toes. You're going to get put in a lot of tricky spots. Which he's is, definitely uh, that type of player. I'd say we have a somewhat similar style, me and him, but he's one of those guys at the table. Like there's a bunch of professionals that are like, you see them show up to your table. You're like, man, this guy's hard to win money off, whatever. But like you have a Damo sit on your table, like, kid makes his fucking presence known. Do you know what I mean? Like he's putting people in the pain box a lot. He's making you make big decisions for a lot of chips a lot. That's part of the reason he's so good in my opinion. For sure. And uh, what do you believe in the the current world? Like in terms of studying and doing stuff and and solvers and this and that, like do you feel the game could be in jeopardy? Like, is it like, or is it just too much, too vast? Uh, There's always new formats and, you know, knockouts and whatever. Like, what, what, where do you see the evolution of poker going right now? I guess that, like, the, I mean, you could, I guess you could break it down. High stakes, mid stakes, like the World Poker Tour, WSOP, thousands of people, right? You know, mm-hmm. tournaments are just going and people want to play and, and there's value. But what do you think about the high stakes? Like, do you think there's a, a shelf life for this? Well, I've always been of the opinion that online high stakes is uh, on a downward uh, trajectory due to stuff like this. Obviously, people getting better like live cash game, sorry, online cash games for stuff like seeding scripts, uh, HUDs, like, you know, a fish joins the table and all of a sudden the table's full. This sort of stuff is super predatory, not good for the game. Right. Um, there's also the looming threat that people may or may not be able to use RTA now. Obviously, they had that case with that guy. Um, yeah. I think I know his name, but I don't want to say the wrong person by accident. So yeah. he was doing some RTA. I think it's probably inevitable that other people can and will do it uh, if they can try and get away with it. So I I fucking hate this stuff personally, to be honest. Like I would have been happy for, like I remember when my friend told me when Pyrosolver come out, like I was actually devastated to hear this. I was like, this is, he's like, this is the best learning tool ever, this and that. I'm like, this is trash. Like this is so bad for the game at the time, but now it's got to the point where it's like, that thought process for me is too far gone. This is just the ecosystem we live in. you know, thousands of people are going to be using those tools and you just have to sort of deal with it. Uh, but yeah, I think there's the threat that people are going to use stuff like RTA, uh, online stuff, especially the really high stakes. I think it should be under a lot of scrutiny personally, and it's probably not under enough scrutiny. Um, but yeah, in terms of live poker, I don't see that going anywhere. Once you, once you show up to a table, you know, people who don't have a computer, they're not hiding behind a screen or whatever. You're in the flesh and people have to use their own brains. That stuff's going to be around... For a very, very long time, in my opinion, I don't think it's going anywhere. People like there's also a social aspect of live poker. I really like like you come over, you talk some shit with your friends or the people on your table, you learn some stuff, whatever. Like yeah. live poker is not going anywhere and will be fine for a long time. But I think the online high stakes will be on a downward trend. It's recently got a boom, in my opinion, due to COVID and the fact that people cannot play these live tournaments even if they want to. So they obviously want to get their poker fixed somehow. Right. But long term, when COVID's fixed, I don't see. I see that stuff on a downward trend. That's what, that's my opinion. Yeah, I think it makes makes a lot of sense. And and what is uh what what's the minimum buy in these days that gets you get you excited or like as a title like what'll get you you know thirty five hundred WSOP series like you grinding you go let's say the World Series schedules back next summer are you are you hitting a, a full schedule are you, what do you what are you trying to do when you're there because there's only so many high rollers um what are you, um, what are you, are you playing one K yeah twenty five hundred it's the thing, like I played a home game the other day. I played like a $2,500 tournament, right? Like I'll play, I'll play small, medium stakes tournaments. I love playing. 
and I actually really miss the the live. Like I talk to my opponents, have a chat, like the social aspect of live poker. For example, when I'm in the UK, I'm sitting behind my fucking computer screen, just like antisocial, twelve hours a day. Like right. you know, I enjoy the game, but I'm not, I don't want to be doing that every day. That's me personally. Like. So um, when the WSOP comes back, I'd love to fire off some tournaments. Maybe I would mix in some cash games as opposed to some of these smaller tournaments. I've never been one to play a full schedule of WSOP. I have never done that ever no. just because you got like cash games in Bellagio, whatever that you can, you know, you can play that sort of stuff instead. But if I was at some other uh, stop where there wasn't cash games, for example, I'll flick almost everything just because I, I like playing live poker and I enjoy yeah. competition, right? Did you did you play? Were you in that early Macau scene? I know like a couple of my buddies and some US guys were going over and hitting some huge stakes cash games. Were you was that the same time period? Were you there before or after? Did you did you play some of those big big cash games when they were juicy in Macau back in the day? I definitely dabbled in it. I wouldn't say I put in some of the hours that some of the other guys did. Like some guys just lived there for years, right? I don't know how they did it personally. Like fucking respect to you guys living there for years because there's not much going on in uh, the country. Right. But I definitely dabbled in there. I'll go there for a month or two at a time. And when I did there, when I did go there, I was an absolute workhorse for sure. But going back to what I said before about I pay for my flights, I pay for my hotel. Well, right. I definitely have done a bunch of hundred hour weeks and thirty hour sessions and stuff like that right. in the time I went there. Uh, but I didn't spend years there like the other guys. I'd go for like a month or two at a time, and then I'm like. I need my R and R. I'm burnt. I come back and you know chill for a bit. For sure. And what? Speaking of that, like uh, every you know attributes on and off the table. What What are some of the things you think that make you so successful? Is it the work ethic, studying, discipline? You know, whether it's cash games, tournaments. Like what? What makes you able to to win and, and compete at the highest level? Um, I'd say in terms of the study side of things, the last few years, uh, other people definitely would have worked harder than me. I'm not going to give myself a pat on the back. You know, you deserve all this because you're the hardest worker. Like that, that'd be like sort of bullshit if I said that. But I think I have some uh, other qualities that are sort of good in terms of, I'd say I'm pretty much immune to tilt, which I think is pretty key if you want to be playing these high stakes. I also don't just blast off, uh, you know, ridiculous portions of my bankroll. I'm always being very sensible with that. So that type of stuff uh, I've been good at. I also think another skill is being realistic about your own ability, knowing that you make mistakes and understanding where you need to improve on or also understanding where I fit with my skill level versus my opponents when I was coming up has been an important skill as well. So I think in that sort of stuff, uh, I've been pretty good. Yeah, so I think that's been that and like I'm not afraid to work hard. Like I'm not afraid to put in 100-hour weeks or whatever if necessary um, or like not go to that cool party everybody's going to when the game's good. Like I, I was always willing to make those sacrifices, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That's. Uh, I think that's that's something that I, I guess. Yeah. It's working working smarter, not harder. Um. And and is that uh, how, when you do that, do you put your phone away? Like, do you spend hours? Like, what is your actual kind of methodology to studying? Do you do. Do you look at hands and talk to people? Like, what's your what's your way of what do you prefer to study with? Um, so I'd say like earlier in um, my poker career or whatever you want to call it, I would do like I said, I go and watch what the best players were doing and try and um, understand why they were doing it. Um, later on, I didn't do as much study, but I definitely looked at some stuff. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say oh, I 
put all the time in on Pi Solver and stuff because I didn't. But some of my friends did a lot of it and they would send me some stuff here and there. And when they did send me that stuff, I would like analyze it to the detail, if that makes sense. Right. I wouldn't just like have a quick glance. Oh, I did this with this hand. It's like I would analyze it to the detail. And I always thought like if you could look at one of these uh, Pi Solver Sims and people will be like, you do this 30% with this end, 40% with this end, blah, 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 and try and have some verbatim thing like, I think that's nonsense, personally. I think what you want to do is you want to look at it and you want to try and draw the macro lessons uh, from what you're seeing. And then you want to draw them out and learn how you can extrapolate them in other situations right. and where the sort of differences would be, if that makes sense. So if it check rate, if the, the Pi Solver likes to check raise a particular hand on this board, um, what? why is it doing it? Like, is it because of blocking, unblocking properties, backdoor equity, whatever? And then how would that change on this board or this board or this board? So I guess I did a lot of in-depth thinking whenever I did study, uh, but I didn't do as much as some people. And then obviously just watching what the best players were doing, right? Like you got people like back before I started playing all the big high rollers, people like, you know, Isaac Haxton, Stephen Chidwick or whatever. These guys are putting the fucking work. They put in the work. They know what to do. So let's watch what they do. And you can just pick up a lot by what they're doing. Like they're doing this a little bit different than me. I wonder why. And then, yeah, I'll pick up, I'll learn some stuff like that. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. You say that. I think, I, I think that that's true. Cause it's funny. It's funny when you, when you look at a, uh, there's some people that come to mind, but who are obviously great players, but it's like, yeah, 30%, 40%. You do this here, 60%. It's kind of like, doesn't really tell you that much because it's like, oh, well, you could do this 60 and 40 in this spot, this or not. And it's like, it doesn't really make you better. Like, oh, okay, all, it doesn't t- yeah. tell you anything really. And that's Yeah, bad. and like people will know, like if, for example, I'll play online and you'll know that like the online population knows that setting, see betting 30% on this board is a good strategy. They, they've seen the other good players do it. They just do it. But then they don't sort of understand how that extrapolates further in the hand, if that makes sense. Right. They've been like, I memorize this part and I'm going to get this part right. But then they don't understand what happens in later streets on different turns. Uh, what happens when they face a check raise and uh, different varying bet sizes and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So this is the sort of areas where you, you gain edges on people in, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's really, that's a good point. It's interesting because exactly. I, yeah. I don't know exactly how to say that, but that's, that's how I feel on that because that, that's the key, right? And that's, that's, I think what the best players and the people at the highest level, and that's where they're able to look at one hand or one spot, and then they get to take a lot away from it or look at other similar things and know how to react. Cause um, you know, learning, a, getting sent a couple hands in the solvers isn't going to make you a great player, you know, just seeing a spot or a hand and like, Oh, okay. So I, I that, that's key. And I, and obviously people that are able to do that, do that well and efficiently are going to, going to, going to be able to have a lot of success. So how, how would you tell someone to do that? Like, what would be like a way someone at home? Cause it's overwhelming a bit, right? You look at the solver, it's hard to plug it in. Like you said, you got friends, maybe they can do it. Can there's ways to, what would be like the best way? Someone's like, look, I want to spend two hours and get better and learn some stuff. How could they utilize a tool like that? Um, well, I think the thing is the tools are actually not so easy to use in my opinion. I don't think, uh, Pi, you know, Pi solve is particularly easy tool to use, but once you have that understanding of how to use it, it's obviously, an extremely strong tool that's going to give you quite precise answers. I think what people would do is they'd just they'd be better off watching some of the better players trying to draw conclusions about what they do, 
or they could watch some uh, content on Ron at Once or maybe some of those free YouTube channels. Like I think Finding Equilibrium is a pretty good free YouTube channel. So shout out to them or like Bluff the Spot is also a good free uh, YouTube channel that you have the option to do paid content where they sort of go over some of the lessons of like, okay, we do this part for value and then we compensate this for bluffs and they explain it in a good uh, balanced way. But yeah. um, maybe in the future, some tools come out where they make this pie solver stuff, you know, they take the, the clunky, boring, putting in uh, calculations out of it and they just give you the data. I'm not saying maybe. This will be coming out soon. That's just a little teaser, okay? I love <laughs> so it. So take that what you will. I love it. I love it. That's uh, yeah. No, that that's. I think that's the that's the next the next level of uh, what, what's going to you know making it easier because it's. I don't think so much people are. It's so much that people are even lazy. You know, I think it's more they just don't know really what to do. I can sympathize yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both. It's also like even if you know what to do, do you want to sit there, plug in your inputs, and wait for thirty minutes to get an answer? And then do that. You have to do that 20 times to really learn something to like, do you want to do that? Or like maybe if you had some tool where this answer was at your fingertips, it's done the hard work for you. Then people would be like, okay, I'm willing to study now. So you got like DTO or whatever. They can get the feedback from all the hands. And it's just, it's just like, it's a lot more user-friendly and not as time constraining. And I think other stuff is going to come out soon that will make this stuff a lot more user-friendly to to sort of amateurs or people that aren't that great with technology. Yeah, what, for sure. What um, I actually, I was trying to find that footage of us playing the the uh, foosball, but I can't find that. Now. I remember that. That was. That I was remember fun. you belted a few winners. You belted a few goals home, and you were you were getting a bit up and about. You were letting our opposition know. Yeah, I was excited, <laughs> but I, it's weird because I, I remember it, and I know there's a clip of it, but I just scrolled through these. But oh well, we'll have to relive that again another time. Uh, let's. I, I there are a lot of questions on Twitter. I think you might have. I always okay. feel like I'm saying this, but you actually might have set the record. We got an $111 ticket. We're going to give away here at the end of the stream. Right. So if you guys want to. Get in there. People are coming in, man. They're getting in there. You're gonna have a shot to get it. Actually, I think this is the record, which is kind of cool. I don't think. Oh, I sweet. Let's pump out some questions for these guys, then, huh? Yeah, let's let's do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go in there, give you guys a chance, uh, and still to get that before we pick that at the end. And let's uh, let's go ahead and just kind of dive in. So, um, okay. do you like German schnitzel? Absolutely love it. <laughs> there you go. First question answered. Right, right off the gate. Nice one. Uh, favorite site to play on as of late? Like, take this last year. Okay, so formally, I would have said that it would be PokerStars because I feel like the software was the best. But recently, it's it's not so clear cut anymore. Like uh, Party Poker hosts a lot of great structures, and I'm one that likes great structures, so I've really enjoyed playing on Party Poker. Um, GG hosts some pretty fun tournaments. They got some good features, but a little bit speedy for my liking sometimes, a bit turbo, but still like the software is pretty good now. It's it's now it's got to the point where all the software is much better and you know, there's no not such a clear winner. I think Party Poker is winning for structures though, so we'll give them the tick for the structures. I love that. Love, love to hear that. That's uh, that, that's nice. Uh, someone asking on let's see, it's Tanny Denair one is asking Try to put this up for you can see uh, your style. Describe your style of play. And uh, I don't know if you want to give specifics on who you don't want to play with or who you think is tough, but we just kind of covered some of this. Um, just <laughs> let's go with that. The style. How do you describe your style of play? Um, someone's described to me that they think I'm very sticky. And I think that's probably pretty good. 
I think it was uh, Brent Hang said that I'm quite sticky. I'd say that's accurate. So I don't like to fold. I like to get to the river, see what's going on. So people have told me my fold button's broken. I don't know. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but I'd say I'm a sticky player. Sticky. Okay. I like I'm not overtly loose, but I'm certainly not tight either. Fair, fair enough. Uh, that's a fair answer. Uh, we talked about the results. We spent a good bit of time on that. So you can scroll back and look at his first first prize. There's a, there's a lot of results there. Fabio, yeah. That 35K score where I come first, that was the first good one. That was your, that was your, the one that's, that was, yeah, it was an yep. important Pretty one. Early on. It was momentum one. Uh, so how many years ago do you start playing poker? We kind of covered that, but what is it now officially like? I'm 32. I started playing 18 and very seriously at 19. So fuck 14 years, man. It's been a long time. That is a nice, that's a nice haul. I'm, I'm uh, an old man in this game now, you know? Yeah, it's I'm a young man's game. I no. definitely feel like that. That's for sure. It's, it's not so much yet though. Uh, this is no, kind I, of I need chef. to become an adult, right? You, you don't have to answer. I was going to ask, uh, you know, I know you don't have kids, that, but what about, uh, are you on the market? There's some ladies in the chat. Are you not, is it personal? You don't have to answer. Um, I was dating a girl not too long ago. I didn't work out. She's a great girl. We still speak sometimes, but yeah, I'm currently single. Okay. On the market. Confirm. There you go. On the market. I'd like to meet somebody and have kids one day too. Uh, I want to be a dad, you know? Yes. It's, I, I get it. I understand. I, I think it's uh, that's the, na- that's the natural progression and it, yeah. it's great. Just get your poker in while you can, man. You know, get your, get yeah, your you got to, right? Cause yeah. I don't know if these lifestyles are necessarily the most, it's a lot of travel. It makes it hard for relationships, you know? But yeah. Yeah. with COVID going on, maybe not as much travel anymore. So exactly. we'll see. Exactly. It all, it all works out. It's all good. Yeah. Um, Mary's asking great bluff. She has had some great success this year. So appreciate her coming in with some a nice question about your goal. What is your next poker goal? Uh, so going back to what I said before, I definitely don't have any monetary uh, goals from here on out uh, relevant to poker. I guess that if I was to make a poker goal, given that I don't have to do as much traveling at the moment, I should probably be apply myself more to studying, I guess, because I would say I've been guilty of being lazy in that in some respects. So I guess I should make an effort to study more. That would be my next poker goal. Nothing like earn this amount of money or win this tournament or win this many bracelets. I don't have those type of goals. Listen, if Just I play my be- best game day in and day out was what I pride myself on. If I can be a fly on the wall and any of that studying, you know, and I'll, uh, you don't have to, just, I won't bother you. I won't listen. If it's, if you it's donated okay. to the bushfires, so I'll shoot, oh, I need to shoot you some of uh, that stuff. You must have missed the memo because I've done a lot of those classes, but I'll, I'll flick you in some of that. I'll, you know, got to reward the bushfire donators, you know? I did, I did. And then I, and again, it's like, it's kind of one of those things where on social, I'm, it, it sounds funny, but I really, you know, I'm not watching Twitch or YouTube videos or I, I do a lot of content and stuff. So I'm trying to stay off social as much as possible. So I did miss that, but could you actually touch on that? Cause that was something really cool. I know you did. And, and like we were saying, I, I did hop in on that and, and you, you raised a fair amount of money. What was that about you? There's a massive deal in Australia with the bushfires and explain what you did and how much was raised. Essentially. Yeah. Australia was going through some terrible, terrible bushfires. We're talking about huge amounts of land burning and like uh, gross stuff happening to the animal life in our country in terms of a lot of animals dying and stuff like that. So basically, I saw, you know, what people were talking about uh, on the internet. Uh, I noticed Lynn Gilmartin was doing something like a fundraiser for animals and wildlife care and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, like I wasn't really much of a social media guy, but maybe now is a good opportunity for me to do something for this. So I thought I will give um, basically some free group coaching to anybody, doesn't matter who it is, who donates $500 or tops up their donation to $500 to the bushfires. 
So I sort of did something on social media with that. A bunch of people donated. Um, some people did some pretty uh, decent donations, like Rob from Party Poker did a decent donation. And a few other people who didn't even want the coaching, like Phil Helmuth and stuff, had some nice donations. So yeah, just see if I could raise some money like that and then obviously provide some value to the people that were willing to donate via the coaching. That's what I did. And, and I'm sorry, did you say, do you know how much total came through that avenue roughly or what was like, I mean, just I know that, that come through Lynn Gilmartin Singh was over a hundred thousand. Now, a lot of that was probably before I got involved in the first place, but I would have helped out, but uh, a decent amount of money come through for sure because it ticked over a hundred thousand. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, all right. Pocket sevens or ace jack suited being asked here for TYP Turbond. Um, that's, that's a very good question because I can't come up with an immediate answer. I think that's, you got pretty close there. Maybe I'll take the ace jack suited. I mean, if we're all in pre-flop at sevens every time, right? But just overall, uh, versus a range. I don't know. It depends. Am I playing versus a big blind or whatever? That's, that's a good question. I'll take the ace jack suited, gamble it up a little bit. There you go. I like it. Smart. So it is true. It's, it just shows you, you know, that's a, that's an in-depth answer there. You can tell there's a, it, exactly. It's if, Assuming it's not all in pre, right? That's that's the yeah, way. Yeah, if he had have said fives versus ace jack suited, I would have snapped the ace jack suited. So he's he's put it right on the money there. <laughs> Very nice. This guy's probably a tough opponent. I hope good luck in the draw for this ticket. Uh, we ask from some of these questions, guys. We've already basically covered, so I'm just going to scan through. We talked about COVID, how it impacted. Mm-hmm. We talked about when uh, Kale decided to go to uh, to play professional. Uh, most difficult player you ever faced. Um, you don't have to answer that because I know it's kind of, you know, you're, 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 there's a few people that would fit into that bracket. I remember originally when I started playing the high roller scene, uh, I remember playing against Isaac Haxton and thinking this, this guy makes fucking life hard because Isaac Haxton obviously comes from a, a cash game background too. Uh, so he's, you know, very well versed at handling those deep stacks. And he's the type of guy who doesn't mind, making you pay with your entire stack, if that makes sense. So earlier on, like he probably would have got my nod. Now that sort of uh, I'm playing with more places, a few people should be in there. Adamo's another one that makes life hard. But it depends. Everyone's got a slightly different style. Like maybe someone like um, Chidwick might not make your life quite as hard as Adamo, but he might be equally hard as hard to win money off, if that makes sense. Or, you know, does that make sense? There's a yeah. lot of players that are sort of similarly skilled now, I think, at the top. Right. No, it makes, makes perfect sense. Um, very cool. All right. And uh, there, there's a question about staying on top. How do you stay on top with time evolving? Like, I, I guess more so like population tendencies. How do you stay up on population tendencies and how, how does it shift versus like playing a, a 10K WSOP main event field versus the high roller fields? How do you, how do you sort of uh, go into those different modes? My personal answer is I stay on top by playing. Uh, I do, I'm a person that puts in a lot of volume when I do decide to play and perhaps not as much study off the table as other people. So I stay on top by playing and um, I do do a little bit of work off the table, noticing trends, figuring out some stuff myself. But yeah, I, in terms of what's happening with the trends, I sort of see like when I might understand what a correct strategy is and then I notice that over time uh, populations uh, strategy uh, trends towards that strategy that I know of, but because I know about the strategy already, I already know what the good counters to that strategy and how to play correctly versus that strategy is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Over time, I'm sure new stuff's going to come out and I'll have to do some more analytics in my head, but yeah, mostly by playing for myself. For sure. And, and uh, okay. anybody who plays at the high stakes, you'll like, if you start to play high stakes, you're just going to get better. 
because other people are doing stuff more correctly and you're just going to be like a sponge picking up the information, right? Learning as you go. At least this is what I think. Um, all right, man. So it's a lot of good questions here. I feel like I should have gone. Straight. I hope we get to cover. There's a lot, man. Look at this. Like I said, this is. Fuck, this maybe is I should lot. grab some of these. Was on Twitter? Yeah, Twitter's really doing it. They're, they're putting it out there. Um, so we, I fire them off. Give these people their answers. I know, man. That's why I, I had to cut. I had to pivot early. I saw saw a lot. There's some 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 foreign languages. I'm not even sure which. I should. I'm embarrassed. I don't speak Portuguese. Um, but uh, what I should. You got the translate button there. Oh, is there? I have to look on my phone. I'm not logged in on my thing. There should be a translate button. If you click on the individual tweet, I think you can translate stuff. Really interesting. Yeah, just check it out. See if it works. All right. What well, like this, and then translate tweet oh. bang. Damn, they got this on Instagram. I guess they have it. How do you? How, how do, do you, you develop motivation? Yeah. Um, I guess motivation is something I've always had. So uh, going back to what I said before, I don't like people telling me I can and can't do things. And I also like to set relatively high standards for what I think I can do. Um, actually, I had a conversation with somebody the, uh, the other day. So basically, when I was in lockdown, I was sort of being a bit fucking lazy, basically, with my exercise. I wasn't doing much exercise. I was eating crap for my standards. And then I started to like put on some weight. And then I sort of said to myself in my head, like, once I get back, to Australia or like on this day, I'll start doing things properly. And I like, that's bullshit. This is, I just want to say that's bullshit. And then one day I decided I'm going to start today. And when I decided I started today, then it was just finished. Like I, there was no stopping me at that point, if that made sense. So right. I think what you want to do is you want to um, have your goals. They don't have to be financial, whatever. They don't have to be long-term. They can be short-term. Have your goals, put them aside and then decide you're willing to put in the time to do something every day to get you a bit closer to those goals. And if you do that and you just come in and put, put in, pay your tolls every day, like that's all you have to do, right? It's just about good habits and putting in the time. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think, you know, that, that the whole, that old uh, adage about the first step is the, the hardest. And that's just one of those things, like whatever you're doing, whether it's studying, whether it's starting a Twitch or YouTube, whatever, you just got to do it. And if you just say, oh, I'll wait to the perfect time or moment and whatever, it just doesn't really doesn't really go like that. So uh, I think that, that that's a skill set in itself. Like a lot of people just don't have that, that, that ability to just turn it on and, and dive in right away. So very cool. Um, translate, what tips could you give to avoid tilt? You are a tilt specialist, self-proclaimed. <laughs> as a, as a hum, like you're, to, to be fair, I think you're one of them. You're a very humble guy. You have a lot of success. But like you were saying, that's one of your attributes. You pride yourself on tilt. So this yep. is, I want to hear, what are your, your, your tips on this? Okay, so generally, I just have the thought process that poker is a very long-term game. It, you could even just des describe it all as one big session, right? So anytime that you decide to tilt, you just put in negative results into your long-term trend. If you tilt 100 times over the course of you playing poker, what's that going to happen for your bottom, uh, bottom line results, right? So I just decide that, you know, my, I want my A game and my C game to be similar, so I, I can't have any tilt in my game. If I play good, then I can just pat myself on the back and be happy and not be too attached to the results. I pride myself on playing good. So I think people want to pride themselves on playing good as opposed to the results they may get in the short term, and that would help. That's not to say that I don't like experience stress or maybe like even anger or stuff like that, because I do. It's just I use different outlets for that sort of stuff. So, for example, I play a lot of Call of Duty with my friends. I'm like, I fucking rage when I play that shit sometimes. Like somebody will kill me or I'll make a mistake. And like, I'll let out my frustrations in that. And then poker is just like, no, you showed up, you're a cyborg, your emotions are at the door. 
time time to like if that makes sense. And then I'll let my steam off, you know, maybe playing sport or playing Warzone or something like that. Because I think people do need to let off steam too, you know, like we're right. human at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I, I so that's my answer to that. I think that's that's amazing advice, and I think that it's like people have to realize as well. It's a big weakness if you're at the table and you take a bad beat and you slam the table and you show it really affects you. People maybe come after you or they feel you're tilted. So it's a, sort of like a negative free roll to uh, to give that off and, and to let people have that satisfaction to to, to see that if it bothers you. Of course, you don't like taking a bad beat or getting cooler. You know, no one. Yeah, does. no one does. But it is what it is. Yeah, that that you're you slave to the variance. You can control that part and how it is. Um, what about a book? Do you have any interest in writing a book or doing any kind of uh Never really thought about it, to be honest. I'm still extremely young, in my opinion. So maybe, I mean, my life or story is far from over and I've never really thought about it at this point. I wouldn't rule it out, but I haven't thought about it either, to be honest. Um, interesting. I was The other part I was going to say, what about, you, you, you don't, you're not, uh, you're not outgoingly, well, I should say you're not like super active on social in a lot of respect. Yeah. Have you done a podcast before? Have you done one with Joey or anyone? I've done a couple. Like when people ask me, I generally, uh, you know, say yes to them, but I'm oh, not like right. outsourcing to do yeah. social media stuff, if that makes sense. I guess that's sense. my question um, about like, yeah. uh, have you ever considered doing a, like a vlog or documenting some stuff? Or, you know, like actually Gus Hansen did that book. I think it was Aussie Million where he, he like recorded <laughs> it and did it. You know, he won the tournament, whatever. Like, do you, do you have any interest in, uh, would you ever stream any of that? Like, or just not, that's not your, not what you're really into. Maybe I might do it like as a once off or something like that. But in terms of doing it regularly, like probably not. It's not something that I think about or am that interested in. Like just in my day to day life, it's like social media is not like something I'm a huge part of right. or necessarily even want to be a part of. I'm happy just sort of doing my own thing. Um, and yeah, like streaming consistently, I'd say like almost definitely, not almost definitely, but probably a big no in general. Um, doing like an audio blog where I go through my hands and give it to everybody, probably no again. I wouldn't right. think that's something that I'm going to be doing, yeah. Right, fair enough. Uh, I, I, I get it. Like I said, it, it's uh, we were talking before, you know, you got you got a nice formula, something that works, and and, and it's uh, it's good. It's also nice. That was one of my questions I want to say was about, um, this is one for me about, you take a break from poker sometimes. What's the longest you've ever stepped away since you dove into it initially? I've done months several times personally without playing a hand. Um, and I don't find it too hard to do, presuming that I've got other stuff going on that is sort of drawing my attention, if that makes sense. Because like I said, like going back to what I said before, like when I go overseas, when I go to these places, I will play 100-hour weeks and stuff like this, like frequently. So I've come in with the attitude that like you come in, you work hard on these times when it's good or you're overseas. Uh, you can earn breaks and it's okay. I don't feel like, oh, I'm itching. I need to play now. Like, Maybe I did get a little bit like that um, after coming back from the UK for live poker just because I hadn't played live poker for literally a year. So I did have that missing or sort of longing for live poker. But like two to three months for sure I've done as a break from poker and probably right. several times, two months, yeah. And, and how was your head when you stopped? Did you, was it like you were telling yourself, I need a break, or you just wanted to get it before you needed one? Um, maybe like... I needed a break from the vicious volume I'd be doing in some of these overseas trips. Uh, I personally, in the past and even now, suffered from pretty bad insomnia where I like, if I go overseas and do these trips, like when I'm playing these high rollers or whatever tournaments, cash games, whatever, um, after I finish, my brain is so wide. It's just going like 100 miles an hour. That right. I often struggle to sleep or don't sleep for days sometimes, which is that's obviously fucking garbage for your health, right? 
Yeah. So like if I go and do these uh, high roller things like this and this is happening all the time, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this for my brain and my mental health. So I will take a month off, two months there for my health, I guess. Um, but it's not like, oh, I need to take a break because I'm hating poker. It's never like that. It's like you got to look after your health a bit more if you go on all these days without sleep and this and that and all the traveling, no, no, no. So then I'll do like, I don't know, I'll go hang out with my friends and family, do some exercise, play some sports, whatever, and then just come back to it. What what, are, what sports do you like to play? Um, recently, I've really got into uh, table tennis. So um, previously, I used to like playing tennis a lot, but I haven't done that for a while. But I, play, I used to do a lot of tennis or uh, Australian football when I was younger. Uh, but recently, I've started to get into table tennis. So I actually got this, uh, had a couple of bets with one of my friends. So I was playing versus my social group and I was sort of doing pretty well versus like this group of like seven or eight guys where like maybe I was the best out of those or one guy was close to me or whatever. And then I played this other friend who had his table, have had a table tennis table for years and this guy fucking destroyed me. Like right. honestly, he like completely just humbled me and crushed me. And I was like, oh my God, this guy's way better than me. He picked out a lot of leaks and stuff I was doing that was working with other people. So we made this bet where it's like, I sort of run the numbers and I'm like, okay, I win this amount of the points. Like maybe I'm a one in 27 chance to beat you. So we decided we'll do this exercise punishment bet where like I've got 20 games to beat him. If I win one game, he has to do six tons of squats in the inner session. And if I win zero, I got to do six tons of squats. So it's actually funny. I somehow got lucky and beat him on the sixth game. And then this guy had to pay me all these fucking squats. And it was like torture for him as well. Wow. Uh, He told me he was sore for a week. (laughs) Isn't it? it, it I think it's fascinating about stuff like that. Like, for example, a similar thing with racquetball. Because in Vegas, you know, in the towers, they have those courts. I don't know if you've. Uh, if you've seen that, have you ever seen that? Yeah, I, I have seen that. I haven't played there, but yeah, they got some cool uh, facilities there at Panorama Towers. So similar, I think like amongst my, my friends, you know, I got a place there and I, we'd work out and usually play games in, in the mornings before going to the thing. And I was like decent against my group. And then I heard about Darren Elias was pretty good or whatever. So he came and played me and I mean, he, he fucked you up on fifteen zero every game. I oh. couldn't even fucking touch the ball. It was the most dis- disturbing like- <laughs> experience honestly it was like how he's like you know nothing kid you're a fucking amateur in this game yeah, get taught you're so good at poker you're so good at this and like i, I think he might have taken a hundred bucks or a dinner i forget what we did something super small and, and yeah i'm yeah. glad it was small and it, it was like free money i don't even know if he made me pay him i can't remember because it was so embarrassing he was like a former pro or you know he was just good but it's like one of those things like in poker or table tennis or chess or anything it's like Levels no, you, you don't know. Like if you're really oh. off fast, you're gonna be far, you're gonna be in a bad spot. So you know. Yes. Yeah, just- so anyway, I've kept playing this guy since that. We finished um, the bet. He paid me um, the exercise punishment bet, and then he's like, "Okay, new line, fourteen games." And then oh, I was playing him in these fourteen games, and the loser now has got to do hundred pull ups in a day, right? So basically we did that and I had a couple of games. I had two games. He beat me 21-19. I had like two or three games, 21-18. But he scooped me, 14 love. So now he's all about like, hey, bro, time to pay those fucking pull-ups. So my friend bought over some chalk the other day and the next couple of days I have to do those pull-ups. I'm not looking forward to it, but it's good. Like I'm getting better. I'm learning, getting fitter. And it's pretty fun having the exercise punishments because even if you lose, it's sort of like, well, you'll be fitter at the end anyway. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like between friends. No, that, sort that's, of cool. a, that's a good way to do it. That is, that's a lot of fun. Um, that's, that's good. That's a table tennis is fun. It, it is a game. You play foosball. We played a bit. Do you play much? I know we played in. in Not London. much. One, there's one of the first times I played with you. I remember that we played against those guys and you fucking carried me. Remember you were taking, you were, you were flicking some long shots in, you were sort of spearheading the team and I was just happy to come along for the ride. I'm, I'm a bit upset. I can't find that clip. Cause that was fun. I know I have it. in. A <laughs> you want to show the people your skills. Yeah. I have, that's my, you know, it's one of those things, uh, beer pong, foosball, those are the things I yeah. grew up on. So, you know, you got to have something. Um, uh, what's, uh, what's something every traveler should do visiting Australia from Toad McRodal? That, that's a good question. What's something every traveler should do coming to Australia? I mean, previously seeing the Great Barrier Reef probably would have been the case and it still could be the case. It's starting to die now. So if you're going to do it, uh, do it now. But I think we got some pretty cool like countryside and stuff like that. I always find that when I go to new cities, riding a bike around the city or the places is a really good way to sort of um, sort of uncover the city at your own pace. And it's also like not bad exercise as well. So I think going, like riding a bike around the cities is good. But Australia, you got to check out like Melbourne places to eat. Like before you come, have some stuff written down of where to go because there's a lot of good restaurants there. Yes, it's an amazing city. It's one of my favorite cities uh, and great coffee shops and, and all that. It's just just yep. known for uh, for cool spots. How long are you planning on playing poker? One year, 10 years to the end? Thanks. Nick, name is Veniak777. Um, in terms of like the volume I was doing when I was traveling the tour, maybe not that much longer. In terms of actually playing poker, I'm never quitting poker. Like, I love poker. Poker is a beautiful game. Maybe I don't want to play it all the time or do 40-hour, 50-hour weeks all the time. But I'm never just going to be like, I'm done with poker. I'll always play. If I'm 60, like, I'll come in and flick some tournament, play some cash game or whatever because, I don't know, I think it's a beautiful mathematical game and I enjoy to play it, you know? Yes, I I, uh, I completely, completely agree. Very aligned on that. But at some uh, time, i got to stop doing all this travel because, fuck, like, you got to settle down at some point, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a way. It goes in waves, you know. I think uh, the the being. I mean, you must be missing it right now, right? The the, the live. I miss, I miss the live grind. Yeah, I like yeah. I like a lot poker. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I mean, the, the sign you saw the Hard Rock in Florida, the WPT. They got sixteen hundred runners for the thirty five hundred, oh, wow. like the third largest ever, and plexiglass everywhere in mass. So, I mean, I, I think people people love it. Them. People miss it. Yeah, they, they want to play. People when this vaccine play. rolls out, I don't know how long it's going to take. It could not work so well in some places, but when everything goes back to normal. People are going to be in there for sure. Yes, people are ready to go. Um, we got a, hey, it's Ray. Hey, hey, it's Ray says about the high rollers to online versus live. Uh, how close are they to online high rollers with the buzz versus the live scene and the Triton series, for example? How do they differ? Um, I guess the online series, you have more amateurs from different countries because obviously, you know, anybody can play from there bedroom office whatever so there's a wider variety of people but i personally like the atmosphere of the live tournaments better i just i don't know it's a purer game for me playing live poker i like it not that i don't think online poker is a beautiful game because it is but I, I like the online stuff better and the triton stuff is pretty amazing uh all the facilities they have there is really good structures are good stuff understanding of what's going on so it, it's hard to beat those triton stops to be honest yeah no it's I completely, completely agree. And the Triton stuff, see too. They really, they got a nice thing there. I know they're. I was just talking with them um, recently, and and you know, hopefully that's going to be. It's also something a little more controllable, right? The Triton versus like these thousand person fields when you have like 30, 40, 50 guys get a couple tables. It can be a little more controlled. I think it's a little easier. Yeah, to- they can keep an eye on things better. 
But yeah. I mean, I like the big tournaments too, like the WSOP main events, like, you know, pretty awesome as well. Like each thing got their own caveats that are good about it. For sure. All right, we got another translations. How are your beginnings in poker? What is the game that you feel most comfortable with? Um, yeah. Your sort beginning. of went through that, but we'll go over that again. So beginnings was playing a home game for like literally $10, $15, winning some money, deciding I need to get better. So I went and started playing for play chips on like poker stars, maybe won a couple million of them. And then I just started playing like literally $50 tables and slowly worked my way out basically. Um, game I'm most comfortable with. Definitely no limit hold'em and probably still no limit hold'em uh, live cash games versus tournaments. I'd still feel more comfortable like deep stack live cash games still, but I'm still relatively comfortable in tournaments now. Quite comfortable. Um, makes makes, that. makes perfect sense. Favorite cards? Let's say the non premiums. What's your non premium? What's your what's your? I have favorite? a bit of a soft spot for queen nine suited. I don't know why. I just feel like for some reason when I play those cards historically. I've just ran super pure with those cards. So I got a soft spot for queen nine suited. Uh, queen nine suited. That is definitely a fun one. Uh, that, that's a, that's a. Got some sneaky straights and shit going on that people might not see. It's just yep. a nice one. Uh, plans for 2021. Anything planned? Um, well, I don't know. Like with travel, it depends what happens with the rest of the world, right? Uh, I'm going to keep finishing, furnishing my house. It's like been some delays with stuff just because like COVID stuff's it's fucking stuff up basically. Excuse my French. I'm Australian. You get that. Um, so I'll keep doing that. I'm going to keep staying active. I've also got some body fat loss bets versus some people at the moment, which this bet isn't finished. So I'm going to keep pumping out a decent exercise regime. Um, I'll go play some online stuff. New Zealand's not too far away. I'll do that uh, here and there too. And then, yeah, I don't know. We'll see when, if the world opens up, I'll start traveling again for sure. And anywhere, what's your favorite spots you've been to? Not not necessarily poker-wise, whatever, just traveling in the world or maybe- Just traveling? Um, okay, uh, just in general, in terms of scenery, I think the most beautiful scenery I've seen is in Switzerland. There's just some amazing like mountain ranges and stuff there. It just feels like, it just feels like you're walking through a postcard basically. Uh, so in terms of scenery, Switzerland probably win. In terms of uh, cities that I actually enjoyed, I quite like Berlin. As a city, I thought that was uh, quite nice. Um, but I don't know, I've seen beautiful places in every country, basically. Like even just going through America, for example, I did a road trip through there. Me and my friends did like a Route 66 road trip one time, and we sort of just added in like Colorado and Utah. Like America has some amazing scenery as well, like Canada. Good places everywhere. But yeah. cities that I liked, yeah, Berlin I think is pretty nice and potentially, I don't know, if it wasn't so cold, I could see it being uh, pretty livable. Uh, I quite like Vancouver as a city as well. Yeah. Canada, it's quite nice. What about Montreal? Have you been there? For poker, you played there, right? I haven't been there, no. Wow. Put it, I've heard know. it's fucking cold, but nice. Yeah, but, you know, it is. So, but it's it's cold during the right, you know, the times of the year. But it's, it's my favorite city in the world. Melbourne might be number oh, really? two. Just to, well, just I, need, I need to go check it out. I have heard good things about Montreal. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Um, Sports we talked about best series on Netflix. Yeah, do you watch? Do you have any binge series you've, you've knocked out, or do you watch TV much? Um, I don't watch TV much, and when I do, I usually like I'm either watching sports or something that I've targeted to watch. Uh, so like I like to watch UFC, for example. Best series, a series that I really enjoyed recently was uh, called Drive to Survive. Um, it's about the F1 drivers. 
Um, I'm not actually, I wasn't actually into F1 at all. My dad was into it and I just randomly stumbled across it because my previous housemate was watching it. I remember right. sort of seeing some tidbits and being like, this is super interesting. But I actually found that super enjoyable to watch. It sort of gives you, I don't know, a third person view of what these F1 drivers' life is like, uh, how hard they have to work. And just seeing some of the first person views of these guys, like some of the gaps that they take when they're, when they're driving is just absolutely fucking insane. So I really enjoyed that. Um, haven't watched that much TV besides that. My favorite show of all time, if you're interested, is The Wire. Mm. I think um, that's just like the nuts. Like it's unparalleled realism, so much character depth. Really recommend that to anybody. I'm I'm embarrassed still to this day because I lived in Baltimore for seven years and I and I'm wearing purple, man. I love Baltimore. I'm a Ravens fan. And Get the I, fuck I, out of here! Seen- what are you doing with your life, man? Put some time aside and just watch an episode here or there. Come on. I, I, you know, I did watch the first bit. I got to say, I thought it was a little slow, which I kind of heard from everyone. It, it is that. a bit at the start. The thing yeah. is like the character has, the, sorry, the show has so much detail that they have to do it slow at the start because there's so many characters and the characters have so much depth that if they just rush into it, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be what it is. So I think you just need to pump out three episodes. And then after that, like you'll, you'll start to, you're yeah, going to start to pick I up. Get for it. It. it makes sense. I was kind of, you know, I like the breaking bad style. Like, like the first episode. You want to get straight into it. Yeah. It's just chaos. Like first episode and I'm hooked, but I guess, yeah, it, it is what it is. I, I gotta, I'll get it done. That's embarrassing. It is honestly, that's embarrassing. Yeah. So that's um, and, and I've heard that from a lot of people. It's, it's actually one of the crazier things. It's just, I got to write that down. It's actually, it's, it's wild, man. I, I got some time it. aside. Honestly, I think like the writing in the show is like, second to none in terms of like like even just the slang that the characters use is sort of uh it's the slang that they would use on the street and if you don't pay attention you don't pick up everything because they're not just make they're not just presenting it in a nice information gift box it's right. a lot of subtle stuff in terms of the way the characters interact i think it's you know it's yeah it's it's beautiful tv work really i'm gonna do it i gotta learn poker first though man Kel, before we start, <laughs> please before we- before we, Please, go bro. Through, uh, we go through to, to shows. Um, favorite tourney to play? Um, I really like the Aussie Millions main event. It's a fantastic tournament. They get heaps of satelliters in. So like last year, they had 800 people. Over 400 people satellited in. So half the field. The structure's good. It's in my backyard, which I like. The Australian Open's on. Um, I do like the main event, but fuck me, it's slow. Like, you know, it's, it's so long that it's sort of a bit draining. Um, so I guess... Some of those Triton tournaments or the Aussie Millions main event, I really like. Yeah. Maybe there'd be a Triton Australia, actually. I was thinking, I was wondering why they- uh, I'll be down for that. Hook it up, yeah. Triton. Yeah. Um, that's a good, 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 good thought. I guess it would just be at the crown though, right? That's the thing. I mean, where yep. else would it be? Um, Let's pump uh, out these yeah. questions. We're going- yeah, we got a lot. Let's see. Uh, to, no yeah, problem with about emotions on your first win? Was it emotional to get the trophy? Was the, Did you feel like, was it- how did that feel exactly? We've talked about this a bit, but do you remember that? You that remember- that one was the most emotional I think I've ever felt, despite it being a lot smaller. But at the time, it was sort of solidifying my choices to take the game seriously, put a lot of effort in. It was obviously that might be a bit results orientated, but it was nice to sort of get you know that bankroll boost or whatever. It was a bit of a pat on the back to say you've been working at this for a while um you know you're on the right track here just sort of try hard so that was sort of a bit emotional i think uh yeah and i'd like probably doubled my bankroll or something in one day because i wasn't taking it that seriously maybe the year leading up to that so that first win was the most emotional out of all of them to be honest very 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 cool um 
Well, we got, we've covered, man. There's lies. We'll take a, let's see. We'll try to get, because I know you were trying to, you were chomping at the bit to answer these yesterday. I appreciate you uh, waiting. So we have covered. We can oh, try speed answer them if you, if you need, if you're short on time or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You can always click in there too on some of these. Um, I have to look on my phone because I'm not logged into Twitter on my thing, but I can have a look. What, Let me have a look. So we'll go Twitter. Yeah. Uh, actually, I got, I got one here that's sort of like this question here. Do you feel there's any difference in the, the, the way people from various countries play poker? Is it the same? Simply global and styles have converged with all available training materials. How does that? There's some differences. Play? Yeah. There's some differences. I'd say Australia is like, Australia is a country that has decent financial uh, freedom. We also like to gamble uh, more than most countries. Like per capita, I think we actually just gamble the most. Yeah, to our Australian DJs, we like to bet on stuff. We like to bet on sports. We like to whatever. We're in there. So, um, you know, like there's a lot of more am- – there's a decent amount of amateurs players here. We sort of got a loose style. Um, some other countries are perhaps a bit tighter. Maybe some countries like to bluff a little bit more. But, yeah, there's definitely differences um, across the board in countries, in my opinion. I'd say like Americans are a bit of a mixed bag. You've got some ones that are sort of a bit tight, might sit there, you know, just chilling, just waiting for good hands. And you've got other ones that are just absolutely splashing to the nether end. Maybe um, some countries in Europe take things personally on the poker table a little bit more. And some other countries in Europe are very strategic. But yeah, there's definitely uh, differences, I'd say. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, another question about sports. Uh, yeah, do you think, do you think, what would you say is in better, like, if you had to choose, I guess, let's say it's this, you can only play live or online moving forward. Just so asking about the pandemic and online life. What, what is your, you're, you're more of a live guy at this point. I prefer live poker in general. Uh, it depends. Like, um, I don't mind playing online here and there for a series, whatever, especially when I'm in countries like where the hours are forgivable to leaving, leading a normal life. I don't mind doing it, but I do personally prefer live poker. Uh, I don't like the antisocial aspect of being at home by myself, not talking to people. I wouldn't call myself an extrovert, but I don't prefer to be by myself for weeks at a time, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. All right, I'm scrolling through some of these. We're getting there. I mean, this really is a record. So, uh, okay. all right, how about this? Who was the, weir- the weirdest player that sat beside you in a tournament, uh, weird by as a metagame or looks? I, don't, I mean, that's kind of a different kind of question. Who's like kind of who's out there? I don't there? know about weirdest. I don't know about weirdest, but I remember there was this guy I was playing with in Vegas. I think it might have actually been that 10K6 Max. He probably wasn't the weird, he's not the weirdest person I met, but he was a very out there character. He was sort of sitting in there. He was re- wearing some really extravagant clothing and he sort of just kept, he kept sort of talking about that he bought a, uh, a plane recently, this and that, like, and he was sort of, he, it seemed like he was trying to put people on tilt a little bit because the way he was doing stuff too, but he was doing it in sort of like this innocent, I don't know what I'm doing way, but he just kept crapping on even though people didn't want to listen sometimes. So he was a, he was an interesting character. He was probably the most interesting one I played. Um, that's, uh, that's, yeah, there you go. Uh, if you could pick anyone to play 25,000 hands, this heads up thing is popular these days. It's boxing or or poker, right? People just challenge each other. Um, who would it be if you could pick anyone to play the 25,000 hands or your favorite version of poker? Heads up, who would you like to play? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, my fate, I mean, No Limit Holden is my preferred game, but I actually really love Pot Limit Omaha, but I could go a couple of ways here. I remember back in the day when uh, Sealder was playing uh, all those guys heads up at No Limit Hold'em. That was like pretty inspirational. I remember watching that and be like, man, this guy's fucking savage. He's playing all these guys at 501 K, six different guys and winning at the same time. Was so. That- Asilda won. So Victor oh, Blum. Isildur, Isildur, so yeah. yeah. So maybe Asilda, if it was No Limit Hold'em, 
uh, or even some mixed game I don't know how to play just because I feel like he's a bit of a genius uh, Pokemon mind. Um, maybe if it was PLO, I don't know, like... I'd like to play 25,000 hands against, say, Phil Galphon, but I'd also like to do it without having to lose the money against Phil Galphon. Well, so listen, like- he, he happens <laughs> to be my next podcast guest on Tuesday. Yeah, so well, maybe toss it up to him. Offer it there. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to play against him and listen to his, like, uh, sick, silky voice and then just, like, have the part where I don't lose the money because he's a better PLO player than me. So... Yeah, you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too, though. Oh, you know, you guys could do pull ups. You've been doing bets like that. Maybe you could do push ups. I do some pull ups with him. Sure. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll toss it out. I can't see. even sledge him though. Like Phil Galphon's like literally the nicest guy in poker. Like I can't even I can't even talk shit to him when he does it. He's too nice. Unlike yeah. my other friends, so you can't do pull ups with him. I want to yeah. be there talking shit to my friend who's paying the punishment. You know. Yeah, no, he's a, he's one of the good ones. Um, he's so one good we got ones a question sure. here. Look at this. I love it. People, my man is concerned about the players in Australia. They banned online poker. How are the players doing? How how devastating? Because in the U.S., you can hop over the border to Canada, Mexico, Australia, mm-hmm. I guess New Zealand. It's four hours old. What's going mm-hmm. on? Like, how big of a hit did this did this ruin? Did you think this crushed dreams? Did this change a lot of people? Or did the people who really want to play find the it way? Definitely. To- change some people's lives. Some people move to Thailand or Indonesia, like some of these online players, they move to New Zealand, uh, stuff like this. At the same time, people can obviously play live if they wanted to. So that wasn't a problem or New Zealand's four hour flight if they wanted to play sometimes online. And then, you know, some people might like find other sites to play on where they can get away with it in Australia and stuff too. So I don't know, it is what it is, but yeah, it definitely changed people's life paths, some for sure. For sure. Makes makes perfect sense. Uh, question here from Buzz Rungood. This is something I like to always ask the crushers on the show about how many tables online are you comfortable with considering volume versus ability to analyze a table? What's your general like grind and your peak online look like for tournaments? Previously, when I was a worse player that perhaps was less theory or less uh, fundamentally sound, less theory orientated, I could played 12 tables and it wasn't that big a deal. Now that I'd say that I'm looking back at myself more advanced theory wise, I don't like to go over eight tables too much now, maybe nine sometimes. And that's it. Eight. I feel pretty good with if I'm playing all the highest stuff, I never want to go over eight and six or seven is probably preferred. But if I'm mixing in high and medium stuff, I like eight now. Eight's good. And what about HUD? No HUD party got rid of HUD. Do you use a HUD on I was board? never a HUD guy, to be honest. I didn't even use HUDs. So, okay. and I wish they didn't exist. Get rid of the fucking HUDs. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, the, uh, the thing is like, I want everybody to be on the same playing field, right? That's why live's good. It just purifies the field. So you don't want like, obviously I should be using a HUD. It's probably a bit of laziness on my behalf, but I don't want like the best online players in that to be using a HUD and then amateurs aren't using a HUD or whatever. Like, it's just better if no one uses a HUD, in my opinion. Right. Makes, makes, makes perfect sense. Other And also if a site even had a basic HUD, like if you just had like, I think, you know, Gigi does a bit of it or something like shows a bit of information. Oh, you can click and like see people's VPIPs and shit. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm all for note taking. I'm taking notes. Like I'm not just like, oh, I don't need any information, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. I take notes and then understand people's frequencies and try and create exploitative plays based on said frequencies. But I was never really a HUD guy. Yeah, no. Okay, so yeah, it's, um, I'm with you on that too, uh, man. Some the lot of the foreigners are coming out for you today, Cal. They're, these they're guys, really, they're, you got to give credit to these guys. They're writing good questions, huh? Yeah, they uh, they oh, are. Went over they this do, one. We did that one already. Favorite hobby. Favorite hobby. Um, okay, so the thing I do a lot of that's sort of like a hobby is either watching UFC, lo- love UFC MMA, um, or 
I do a bit of playing video games with my friends because especially during lockdown, like we play Call of Duty Warzone together or whatever. It's like a good way to sort of round up the boys, have a chat, talk some shit together. And then like Warzone's just background. You know what I mean? We love playing it, but it's just an excuse to talk shit with the boys. Right. right? So, so I do a bit of that. Very nice. That's a, that is a yeah. good game. That, that The team games are pretty amazing. I mean, I grew up on video games like FIFA two on two. It was so fun. Now yeah. you can do it online and play and the, the, the stuff and the realism of it. It's crazy. Uh, speaking yeah, of these, these games and you mentioned uh, UFC, you mentioned uh, another game. What was that you were talking about? But it made me think about if I want to know about Australia because it almost is another world to be fair. It's like the, it's the other side of the world at different times. And we had to, we had to really struggle to get the right time here. You know, that kind of mm-hmm. works. This is the latest pot I think I've ever done. And it's early. For Sorry you. about that. It's early over here, brother. <laughs> no, but I know that exactly. Yeah. We had, they, we had yeah. to, something had to be done somewhere. Um, we, but, um, you know, I'm curious about uh, markets like sports cards and crypto. And in, in particular, um, crypto, I know, I know people in poker that are kind of over there a bit, but I guess I'm kind of understanding sports cards more and like what, are, what alternative assets are people doing? Because cash, inflation, all this stuff. Are people into sports cards? Are people into crypto in general? Like, are you kind of feeling it? Do people talk about it? Is this popular? Or what, what's mm-hmm. the overall sort of- I know there's some stuff going on with, was it, is it Top Shot or whatever it is? I don't know. That as well, but I, the, the actual physical cards are going bananas. Like, just- I have no idea what's going on with that stuff. So I'd be lying to you if I said, oh, this is happening with these cards. And so I've got no idea. Yeah. Uh, in terms of crypto, obviously, I know a lot of people that are somewhat involved in that space. And a lot of people are using that as the perhaps the alternate- avenue of investment or protection against uh, inflationary currency. So that's pretty popular thing in uh, is, is the least poker circles, right? Um, but what are people doing for investments in my country? Probably the same stuff they're always doing, stocks, property, stuff like that. Okay. Some other stuff you can do like peer-to-peer loaning and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't know. The usual stuff and then crypto sort of been a huge one the last few years at least. Perfect. Yeah, it's, that makes sense. So nothing – yeah, that's uh- – that's what I figured, but I, I just didn't know if that was like, if there was any kind of weird, you know, this sort of bizarre, like that this thing's taken on so, like a life as long, like yeah, Top Shot as well. It's sort of becoming popular. I haven't got into that myself. Tilt, a lot of people ask about Tilt. We got Tilt Specialist who's covered that. Um, are the chips falling? How do you play poker in Australia? Covered that as well. Can't play yeah. online there. Tilt, um, no tilt. Don't feel it. Only when I'm playing Warzone and some guy kills me and I fuck it up, then I start tilting a little bit. You do get a little tilt. I just let off. I let off a few colorful Australian words, you know, and then I'm back to business. I love it. Uh, any advice for a complete newbie? What would you say someone wants to get into poker right now? Complete newbie? Learn by playing, but do it in an environment that's not going to be expensive. So perhaps play against your friends, play for free, play for small amounts of money, but just learn by doing kinesthetically at the start. Once you've sort of got a handle on how all the rules work and, you know, a little bit of idea of strategy, perhaps look into some online resources from there. So maybe some free stuff on YouTube or whatever. Just do free stuff at first until you realize that you're at a level where it's worth paying for something. That'd be my bus. Great. I like that. What kind of life hacks to feed motivation to play poker consistently? Anything that, that you needed to kind of like push through or you got, like you said, you got in a little bit of a rut, it's kind of becoming the same thing over again. Anything um, keep you keep you sharp? I'd say uh, I'm a big proponent of uh, you should spend your time doing stuff that you enjoy. So like, here's the thing, like if, if I'm passionate about something, it doesn't feel like work to do it, right? So if, if I'm not feeling like playing a bunch of poker at that time, I'm just happy to not do it. But then I want to be working towards something. I'll have some short-term goals that I want to be working towards, but I generally do it in a way that it's enjoyable. So for example, if I want to get fit, I don't mind going to the gym to do weights or whatever. Maybe that's not for some people. 
but I enjoy playing table tennis. I enjoy going for bike rides. It doesn't feel like work now all of a sudden, right? So spend your time doing stuff that you enjoy where it works towards uh, short-term and long-term goals. I think, I think that's important. So that's, that would be my advice there. Yeah, absolutely. And we got Curtis Heron here saying, what would you consider the biggest poker accomplish being that you've had quite a few? What do you think is your actual biggest poker accomplishment? I don't really think about that sort of stuff, to be honest, in general. Uh, like I said, going back to what I take my pride on in terms of what I've done in poker, it's not like I won this tournament, I won X amount of money, this, that, and the other. It's more that I think that I'm getting better year on year, which is important to me. I want to get better over time. And, you know, I think that I'm at a pace where I'm playing a very strong level compared to you know, I can play with the best players in the world. That's something I pride myself on, not winning any amount of money or whatever. And also I pride myself on being able to put in volume and not tilt, like playing my AEM day in and day out. That's that's what I, I you know, I'm proud of, I guess. Yeah, I think that's that's a great answer. Uh, biggest cooler, any hand that just hurt you? Like, I love how people don't say what's like the biggest on your side. They want to know what hurt you the most. Was there ever one that was just so sick or heads up or? You know, just like a massive thing that stands out to you. You play a lot of poker, so I don't know if that even. Um, I remember some time when I took a sh- At this point in time, I was taking a bit of a shot and playing a high state game that I ordinarily would play. So, and I sold maybe a little bit of action. I'm not sure. But maybe I was playing like 100, 200, and it was like pretty early on in me playing poker. I hadn't been playing for that long, so this was a lot of money for me back then. This isn't like the biggest cooler, but I just remember getting destroyed in this hand where essentially I was playing against this rather wild player and the flop was 5-6-2. I had a set of fives. He checked raise. I called. The turn was an eight and he went all in. I called and he had 2-7. (laughs) So he was just in there with the 2-7. I think it was suited, but still he was in there from some wild position. And then he just like ran it once, river to straight for like 50K. And it was just like, this was big money to me, basically. So that that one sort of stuck with me. It's not the worst beat I've copied by any means, but it was like, you're playing stakes way higher than you ordinarily do. And this guy's just come and fucked your day with the mighty 2-7. So that that one one sort of, and the funny thing was I reborn after this and that money was so irrelevant to this recreational player that he fell asleep at the table 30 minutes later. That's, (laughs) That's how little fucks he gave, where he just like completely, you know, he gave me a bad day in poker, if that makes sense. But I've had a couple of spots where it's like maybe I've had like quads over quads or quads versus straight flush. One time I actually folded a straight flush and no let hold of him. I'm not 100% sure if it was correct, but that's probably, that's never happening again. It was a- Well, you folded what? The the low, you had the- It it was a four liner. So I'm not out here folding non-four liner straight flushes. I just want to throw that out there. If you do that, you should kill yourself or just not play. (laughs) But it was like a spot where the guy bet the river, I raised in position, and then he just jammed like 5X again. And I had like, I think I had a five of spades and it was like six, seven, eight, nine of spades. So he bet the river, sort of medium size, I raised, and then he just jammed 5X and I fucking folded. It was online. So that, I mean, if he blocked me, congratulations, right? Yeah, but yeah, that's that's uh, that was probably a pretty big cooler. That's uh, yeah, that's that'd be hard. Uh, that'd be a hard spot to bluff. But um, I mean, he's bluffing into two straight flushes, so like you got to give it to him if he's doing if he's got a bluff there. Good on him. That's yeah, good. That's that's a nice play if he gets it done. Uh, Some about the four forehand in the millions live event. What is that? You pull a set, or was it like uh, what, do you know what he's talking about here? Even? Uh, so they said you you made four four folds in the millions live event. So oh, I presume yeah. I'm bluffing. I I think that's the hand versus Igor Kurganov. 
okay. we're playing heads up. Um, well, I didn't know, have any idea what he had at the time, um, but I remember making a pretty large overbet and, yeah, obviously being happy when he folded. Because if he calls, I just come second in the tournament. So, yeah, that was nice having him fold for sure. It's a bit of a relief. Very, uh, very, very, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's also nice when they're on TV and people remember it and make, make nice plays. And how, how do you deal with the dynamic about TV? television tables and do you really think about that because i see some people like look at their phones they're trying to get like on the delay but you just kind of play and you don't worry about it. i feel like that doesn't really provide too much info right like i think you get a little bit of information of how people play in certain instances but at the same time a lot of that information is available if you were to watch previous tournaments of when they're televised anyway i personally don't love playing televised poker i prefer for tournaments i'd like because I don't want to be giving up information to my opponents, right? If it's a cash game or whatever, it's more fun environment, so it's whatever. But I don't love being televised in tournaments. Um, that being said, like if it's a big spot on a final table and I'm not familiar with some of the players, I will look at tidbits of the stream when I can on the break and stuff like that, presuming it's loud. Because why, why not have the information if other people are going to have it, right? Yeah, I think that, that's I my attitude that. towards that. I agree with that completely. Well, we got I got one more here, and then we are going to give away this $111 ticket we've done it's over two hours, man. This has been quite a treat, and I think we've we've uh, we've definitely come alone. It's been a cool podcast. It's been finding out some cool questions. Yeah, some great great interaction here, and a lot of a lot of people are very curious and, and asking some good stuff. So we'll go ahead and right, do what do we got? What's the last one. question? Last one is uh, you you've said before, I believe that you're not results oriented. Uh, have you always played the game that way, uh, not getting caught up in the results, or is that something that you've developed over time? Um, I definitely think going back really really early. Um, Maybe I would be results orientated sometimes. Obviously, I knew that perhaps that wasn't the right way to be, but I remember really early I had some pretty tough stretches. Like I remember one time I was playing online tournaments and I went through a stretch where I was tracking uh, sort of my EV and all this sort of shit and I was, you know, running really bad for whatever reason. Now, I was a little bit results orientated. I think I went through a tournament where I did a stretch where I didn't catch 32 tournaments in a row. And I was like, this is like savage. I feel like I'm playing good. The data says I'm playing good. I should be winning. So it was a bit results orientated then. But then, you know, I just sort of came to the conclusion that you can only um, change what's in your control. And this is something that's not in my control. So let's just look at what I'm doing here. Can I perhaps, am I playing well? Can I be playing better? Is there something I can be doing to manage my attitude when I'm playing or whatever? And just focus on that. And the rest will just fall into place. Like I've always had the attitude that if you play good, the money will come. So just keep playing good, keep putting in the hours and keep your mind right. And then the money just comes. So I've just kept that attitude since then, basically. That's awesome. And I got to ask about, I got to ask about uh, the beaches and the ocean and stuff and shark attacks, just something that I caught my mind again. Someone's talking about Australia and, the, and something brought this up. It's very random way to go on the podcast. Do you know anyone that's had a shark, been bitten by a shark or have you seen sharks when you've been on the beach or there? Um, I haven't seen sharks when I've been on the beach, but I've seen sharks when I've been on a boat near the beach uh, a couple of times. I don't know anyone personally that's been bitten by a shark, but there was a very famous uh, surfer in Australia. He was actually doing a competition and a shark like bit his board or some shit. And this guy actually punched the shark in the face. Like that's, that's how we do down here in Australia. You know, we don't take no shit from sharks. He just punched this motherfucker in the face. So that's the famous clip on YouTube if you want to look it up. But in terms of the whole shark thing on beaches in Australia, like, yeah, we got sharks. There's a lot of sharks in the world. That's their environment, the ocean. But in terms of actual shark attacks, they're so infrequent that it's just like, it's blown up in people's head and it shouldn't yeah. be like that. Like you're more likely to trip over the soap and die. Just leave the fucking sharks alone. That's my opinion. I, I'm with you on that. I just had to clear it up, man. I just, I, the yeah. shark, there's so many, 
there's some there's some uh you know the, the little bit of uh what's the stereotypes or, or, or stigmas in, in places in, in australia i think australia is one of everything kills I'm, you in australia if you don't know that that's what's that everything kills you in australia can and will kill you I've, there are, to be fair, there's some, there's some, you know, score, these things you hear about there. They, but then there's the koalas and there's kangaroos and good stuff. Well, I'll, I'll give it for the people who don't understand or perhaps heard things. The poisonous snakes, we got them all. Like box jellyfish, kill you in 45 seconds, we got that. Poisonous spiders, we, we got all of them. Sharks, got it. Crocodiles, yep. Just big bad stuff that will kill you, right? But you'll never fucking see any of it because you're going to be in the cities or whatever and it's just not there. Just because we have it doesn't mean it's just running around everywhere just like slicing dice and people. Like right. Australia is very safe. We do have deadly animals, but you'll probably, you'll see literally zero of them if you live in the city or you have to go looking for it. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, yeah. I've, queued up, I've queued up this giveaway. We're going to give okay. this away. It's a $111 ticket. It's pretty nice. The one shot on party. This is number 121 podcast. We're winding it down here. We got some content in the past we've done with Mr. Kale before. You guys can go check out YouTube. He's got a Twitter. If you want to give him a follow as well, and uh, he does. He's kind of you've done your your uh, charity stuff and done the the those are done right those those zooms and you raise that money with for that those you did some stuff where you were doing coaching basically you don't do i did a bunch of lessons already i did what's probably the last lesson last week where i just caught a few stragglers you should have been in that i don't know where you were you doing you missed the memos i was hoping i gave a few lessons it probably ended up being like five or six that i did group coaching lessons um with a bunch of people in it so yeah do you like coaching do you offer coaching if people reached out do you you charge what would you charge for coaching or just don't really i don't offer coaching for money at all. I just re- reject all of those uh, things so far. Um, I don't mind the process of teaching people things and I like enjoying watching their thought process change or watching people improve and or get better. I do like that. I have done it in the past with my close friends who have also been poker players and perhaps I've had some financial interests in them also, be a backing or whatever. But I, I don't offer, if people ask me, I'll pay you this much for coaching, my answer is just universally no. I did it for this bushfire thing. Would I do it in the future? Maybe I could do something for like a group thing, coaching for profit or something like this. Given that I can't travel and play these live tournaments as much now, I have more free time and I want to do something to stay sharp. So I'm not going to say I won't do it in the future, but at no point have I done just like, I'll charge you a thousand dollars for an hour for coaching or anything like that. I just said no to all these offers basically. Right. Okay. Last thing I just got, someone put this in the chat on the side, the drop bear, is that real or not? That's a, is that a mythical thing? Do you know what that means? The drop bear? Have you heard of that? The drop bear is, yeah, it's the deadly version of the koalas we have in Australia that not many people know about. That these things are very real. They will drop off buildings in the CBD and just like literally destroy people. That's, no, they don't exist. I, I, <laughs> they're, they're not real. It's just like an urban myth that we used to troll foreigners, basically, like watch out for the drop bears. I, I see an artistic. Yeah, I just got. I just went to Drop Bear and someone sent me a link to it. <laughs> um, it's, it's like some image where they've changed a koala. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's pretty crazy, but it also says the sign. Koalas is- will actually scratch you though. They're cute and cuddly, but if you, they can get pissed off and hurt you. Like that's not a joke. Same it's- as kangaroos. Kangaroos can kill people. They're, like, they're serious too. You can't just go up and hug them. And dude, kangaroos weigh like two hundred pounds and they're all muscle. Like yeah. they can just kick you in the stu- in in the chest and stop your heart. That's not a joke. Don't go near those big kangaroos, especially when it's like their kids are around and shit. Right, they'll, they'll yeah. fuck you up. We- <laughs> you can actually see videos of kangaroos like choking dogs and shit on the internet. 
Like really? that's I'm dude. They're kangar- look at videos of kangaroos. <laughs> this is pretty funny. That's not bad. I mean, that is a scary looking koala skull of the. the yeah, this is just a troll like. Or this is not a real thing. It's not bad. Yeah, that's how it starts out. It does say it's a, a fictional scientific name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. So, all right. Let's on a lighter note. Let's pick this winner. You tell me when someone's right. going to one hundred eleven dollar ticket courtesy of Party Poker. Myself, Kale Burns, coming in right here to end us. Give us when it is time. I've already loaded it up. What, what do you mean? Give it's when uh, you're just randomly picking someone, or I get to pick somebody. You just got. I did all the. the I, I queued it up. These are all the eligible people that have asked the question. You can see hmm. here they're they're eligible. They're in. We've done it. We got it loaded up, and now you just have to tell me when, and I'm going to choose a winner. All right, fire it away. See who wins. Let's let's get it. Choose the winner. I'm sure it's running right now. 111. dollars I mean, let's see who we guess this ticket. Who got it right here, my man, Michael. Michael Leonard. Leonard. There you go. Get ready. it done. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna DM him. I'm gonna send it. Uh, Your boy see. from Southampton gonna gonna win some money in this tournament. Uh, yeah, that's pretty nice, man. That is what is uh, wow, that's pretty pretty sick. So he got it done. Sweet. Hopefully he binks something. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right, well, man, Kel, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy your morning. Enjoy your weekend. I don't know what day it we'll is. Friday there. In, it's Friday. Uh, yeah. Friday. Every day Sunday, mate. No, it's Friday. Friday. 2021 is the year. Uh, that's where we're at. And I right, you have a great weekend over there as well. Uh, thanks for your time. That was fun. Thank you, man. Appreciate it a lot, guys. Give him a follow. Right. Crushers, high stakes player. He is an absolute legend. Very nice guy as you got to know him and we'll see him on a stop very soon. And I'm going to try to tag along some uh, study sessions. Cause he, he knows all, right, all, right. all the best, man. Thanks, Kel. I see you, bro. Have a good one. Bye. All right, guys, and we got Mr. Phil Galfon on Tuesday. That is next week for the next podcast and another guest as well. And I guess maybe Kel and him may be doing some PLO high stakes for, for pull-ups. We'll see if Phil accepts. Who knows? Yeah, That's maybe. We'll I guess I'm being there for that. Thanks again, man. All right, cheers, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.